0: Hey, everybody. What's up? I got a bunch of comedy dates coming up. JoeRogan.net forward slash tour is the best way to find out about them. The big ones that aren't sold out is May 12th. I'm at the Verizon Wireless Theater in Dallas, Texas. It's actually Grand Prairie right outside of Dallas. And that's with Tony Hinchcliffe and Ian Edwards. A giant chunk of tickets have already sold, but there's still some available because it's a huge place. It's like 6,000 seats. Um, and July 7th, I'm at the Ka Theater in Las Vegas, Nevada at the MGM. That's the night before UFC 213. Uh, so that's July 7th. JoeRogan.net forward slash tour. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, which is an awesome all-in-one platform that allows you to create a beautiful website. Ooh, nothing to install, nothing to patch, nothing to upgrade. People are like, I don't I, I can't fucking make my own website. Yes, you can. Most people don't think they can because they've never tried Squarespace. Squarespace, Squarespace, Squarespace. Squarespace allows you to try it out for free because they're so confident in it. It's an amazing platform, and what it allows you to do with a simple, easy-to-use drag-and-drop user interface, you can create an amazing professional website, a professional website that comes with a free online store, a professional website where you get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. They have award-winning templates and the most beautiful way to present your ideas online all in one platform. They also have award-winning 24-7 customer support. If you're like, well, I don't know how to do it. All you have to do, if you can put a photograph on an email, can you add a photo to an email? Okay. Can you move files around on your computer? Can you like drag and drop, drop stuff? If you can do that, you can make a website. Really is that easy. They've, they've really got it down. They offer a unique domain experience that's fully transparent, simple to set up, and Squarespace is used by a a wide range of people, including me pal Doug Stanhope, DougStanhope.com, made on Squarespace, DuncanTrussell.com. Made on Squarespace. Lots of businesses, a lot of restaurants use Squarespace, designers, artists, and more. And you can try it for free and get 10% off your first purchase if you go to squarespace.com forward slash Joe. Try it for free. Build yourself a badass website and get 10% off your first purchase if you go to squarespace.com forward slash Joe. J O E. That's me. We're also brought to you each and every episode by Onnit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T. Onnit is a total human optimization company. And what we're trying to do with Onit is provide you with all of the tools, all of the inspiration, and all of the information that you need to get your shit together, ladies and gentlemen. And what do you mean by that, Joe Rogan? What we're trying to do at Onnit is pro- provide you with supplements like Alpha brain, which I don't do anything without. I I take it before every podcast. I take it before comedy shows, UFC broadcasts. It's been clinically proven with two double-blind placebo-controlled tests that it improves your verbal memory and improves your reaction time, your peak alpha flow state. All of it is described in full far better than I'll ever do at Onnit.com. We have a lot of other stuff like. Shroom Tech Sport, which is a fantastic supplement for your endurance, based on the cordyceps mushroom, endurance and energy, but it doesn't, it doesn't like get your heart rate jacked up. It's not like a speed. It's just a, it's just a supplement that improves oxygen utilization. Again, all of it is described in depth at onnit.com. Go to the Onnit Academy link. That's the best way to get started when you're interested in Onnit. If you're thinking, what the fuck is this company all about? Click on the Audit Academy link and you're taken to a seg- section section, section, a section, of the website that's filled with all sorts of amazing shit, all sorts of articles on exercise, on diet, on uh, different workouts, motivational videos, different cool shit. Um, and it really sort of defines what our what our company is all about what we're trying to do and all that stuff is free. You can read articles are all those articles, they're updated daily, all all sorts of new stuff constantly being added to it. That's at the Academy Link. And there's also a physical honor academy that's in Austin, Texas, one of hopefully many that we will build all across this great land. And uh it has state of the art equipment, great instruction. It also has Bang Muay Thai, which recently opened, and 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu that's in Austin, Texas. And that's at the Onnit Academy. O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word ROGAN and you'll save 10% off any and all supplements. My guest today is Chris Cage. Chris is the author of How to Hike the Appalachian Trail. And he's one of those crazy fuckers that moved his life to to the woods, essentially. He lived on a trail. He hiked a trail for seven months. It goes from Georgia all the way up to Maine, a mountain in Maine. And uh, it's apparently 10,000 people have done it. Crazy. And he also owns a company uh, that we've talked about on the podcast before. I, I eat their, their snacks. They're called Green Belly Meals. They're these uh, delicious bars. One-third of your daily nutrition in these uh, these bars. Really dense nutrient Dense bars. They're very heavy too, but they're very yummy. Uh, enough, enough description and really cool interview. Really interesting guy, very fun guy. So give it up for Chris Cage. Joe Rogan Podcast, check
1: it out. The Joe Rogan Experience.
0: Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. That was, a, that was like, he didn't do the thumb. I wasn't sure it was their finger button. Chris, what's up, man? How are you? Good, man. How you doing, Joe? Thanks for doing this. Uh, for people tuning in right now, um, Chris is uh, the author of How to Hike the Appalachian Trail. And he's also, I've talked about these on the podcast before. This is his company. He's not a sponsor. This is his company, uh, Green Belly Meals. And these are these really delicious uh, bars that are—they weigh like 50 pounds. They're like <laughs> a, a brick filled with uh, nutrients and food. And they're really good for people who do this crazy Appalachian Trail thing. These these bars that you sell have become very popular with hunters and, and people that uh, like to go on um, uh, backpack journeys deep into the backcountry. And uh, I found out about you from uh, Rich... Uh, Cody, Cody Rich. Rich, yeah. Rich Outdoors podcast. And uh, that's where I listened to you on his podcast, and that's why... That's why you're here. That's what I got your <laughs> thanks, book here. thanks,
1: Cody. Love the podcast.
0: Yeah, it's a good podcast. So what the fuck possesses? For people who don't know the Appalachian Trail, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's a trail where people walk from Georgia, right, all the way up to Maine. Or or vice versa, but yeah. Yeah, vice versa, if you want, if you're a madman. And it takes you how many months? Five to seven.
1: Took me a little over six.
0: So you just hike. For six months, when you're at like month three, do you ever go like, "What the fuck am I doing"?
1: <laughs> long story short, yeah. Uh, and by month three, I was actually approaching winter time, and you know, winter time camping is just a fundamentally different experience. So, not only have you been hiking that long, and you're tired, and your body's just you know just done doing it every, every day of hiking, but then the elements of the of the winter come in and that's uh, that was a different ball game entirely you know
0: how many people have done this
1: less than 10,000
0: that's a lot of fucking people yeah it is that's still a lot of, i would have said like 50
1: uh there's another thing called the triple crown which is the oh, no. it's the uh it's the, it's the at uh, Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail. And I think less than 100 people have done all three of those.
0: The Pacific Crest Trail, is that the one that goes from, like, Mexico to, all ca- o-
1: to Canada? It's it's through California.
0: That's insane. How yeah. long did that one take?
1: Uh, I think, so the Appalachian Trail is 2,200 miles. And the Pacific Crest Trail, I believe, is, like, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven hundred 2,700 miles. But the trail gradient is a lot easier. So I think, like on any given day, you can actually hike more miles, even though the trail is, is longer than the AT, but I think people actually finish it faster than the AT. I
0: like how you call it, the AT. That's inside <laughs> lingo. With all you the maniacs, AT. all you hiking maniacs. Yeah. What the fuck got you into this, man?
1: Uh, I'd say, long story short, Boy Scouts, yeah. I did, um, I joined Boy Scouts later than most people. I joined when I was 14, and, uh, you know, the the kind of the, the pinnacle of the Boy Scout career is getting your Eagle Scout, Right, and I, I joined with that in mind. I was like, okay, I'm joining later than most. I joined when most people are quitting Boy Scouts. You know, they go from Cub Scouts to like 13, and they quit, but I joined, and I was like, all right, I want my Eagle Scout, and we, you have to, in order to get your Eagle Scout, spend 20 nights in the woods. Not consecutively, but you have to um, get your camping merit badge and get your camping merit badge. You have to spend the night, uh, 20 nights in the woods, so... Uh, you know, that was in Georgia, and the foothills of the um, Appalachian Mountains are in North Georgia. So, the you know, the the beginning of the Appalachian Trail is also, you know, right there. So we went on, um, you know, several trips up there in North Georgia, and I got exposed to it, you know. And I think the just the idea of getting on this small trail and, um, you know, kind of looking down and understanding that this thing goes on, or 2,000 more miles was just kind of like, one, that just seems crazy, right? You know, there's no way I'm ever going to have enough time or kind of the uh, the drive to do that. But, um, yeah, there was definitely kind of the mystery. I was like, oh, man, that just seems like an adventure I want to do. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was definitely the beginning of it when I was about 14 years old going up there and hiking on it for overnight trips.
0: Now, how does one fund something like this? Because that I would assume... You either have to be independently wealthy or you have to have squirreled away enough money so you could walk for seven months and feed yourself in the process. Or did you work along the way? I mean, you can't.
1: What do you do? I think there's a big misconception that, you know, like hiking AT takes a lot of money. But in reality, it's like, what are your expenses? It's just food, you know, and then gear ahead of time. So, um, you know, most hikers are kind of known as the like the athletic hobo, you know, like they are grimy. They're not spending money on hotels. There's no accommodation. There's no car payments. You know, they're walking. Um, so you can really eliminate all expenses when you do that. But, um, I mean, for me, I had uh, I was an accountant. So uh, I'd been an accountant for about uh, two years and I saved up some money. And uh, I, I basically knew that I wanted to hike the AT. So I started saving up some money. But any any given through hiker that's what they're called anybody that does um you know starts in Georgia ends in Maine or Maine to Georgia anybody that does that hike um in one consecutive run is, is called a through hiker but any any thru hike i would i would say it takes about $5000 from gear to sleeping in hotels about once a week to resupplying food so if you think about $5000 for 6 months of living like that ain't too bad, you know you think about five thousand dollars for six months of living in the real world, like i've i've never lived that cheaply, you know
0: right well it's not that bad, no, um but like you're saying hotels once a week, so what would merit a hotel stay? is it ferocious weather like what um
1: a lot of things so you you typically are within five to seven days of a town, so the trail kind of You know, it goes along the mountains, and then uh, about every five to seven days, you come to a trail crossing, which is a highway, or anything that would lead to a nearby town. And every five to seven days, you're out of food. You know, that's the biggest thing that I think pulls you into town is you need to resupply. So you're not out there foraging for nuts and berries or or hunting or anything like that. You're, You're relying on getting to town, getting to a grocery store, and you know getting all your food so every five to seven days you go into town and you get food it's like oh man I also haven't showered in five to seven days I also haven't done laundry in five to seven days and you know you're hiking with really one change of clothes so you can imagine if you're hiking 20 miles a day the grime and the dirt that can build up so when you come to town you want to do laundry resupply food you want to stay in a hotel you want to clean off your body your feet are starting to grow stuff you know you've been sweating walking through muddy trails there's just a lot of grime when you get to town it's like uh big refresh you know
0: but when you make that big refresh do you do you ever go why am i doing this
1: (laughs) yeah it's kind of it's kind of ironic you're on you you make the intention of going on the trail to get outside of town and outside of society but one of the biggest things you look forward to is getting back into town you know um yeah and it's kind of Like you said, you know, when you get to town, it's like, why am I doing this? You are kind of, I was kind of dreading getting back out on the trail a lot of times because it was just so, oh man, I have a hot shower, like I shaved, like, it's just so nice.
0: Yeah, the first time I did any camping in, uh, since the Boy Scouts. You're a Boy Scout? Yeah, I was a Boy Scout when I was 13 for one summer, but these fucking inner city creeps that I went to the Boy Scouts with in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts which is like, and now it's more uh, gentrified but back then it was kind of a shady neighborhood. Pick it uh, on you? No, well they, were, they would tie kids up and uh, leave them in the woods they Whoa. would tie you up to your bunk and then leave you in the woods, they put toothpaste all over your clothes which you can't get out they're just fucking shitty kids <laughs> it was it was like a total free fall for all, it was just really dang because we went to the woods in New Hampshire that's where the Boy Scouts would take you up and uh I remember thinking, like these fucking camp counselors are weird guys; they're barely paying attention, and it's basically like all these inner city teenagers, street scouts, yeah, they're just <laughs> they're just running rampant, like uh there was a a rifle range where they would shoot twenty twos and there was an archery range and i remember I was at the archery range, and I heard, P-tion! and I was like, "What the fuck is that?" and they go, That's a ricochet, and I went, "What, all right, check, please." And so I decided to just go fishing every day I was there. I would avoid everybody. There was like all those, you know, these things on the agenda that you were supposed to do. Fuck you. I just took off and I went and found this pond. And I would go to that pond every day for the week that I was up there. My point being, from that time, from the time I was 13 till 2012, I had not gone camping. And then I went camping in Montana in October. And it was really cold. It was mm. like uh, nine degrees. Mm. And we were out there for six or seven days. And when we went back, we went back to a hotel. And I remember thinking, this is the greatest shower the world <laughs> has ever known. Like that feeling, like you don't appreciate showers.
1: Oh, no. Like probably
0: nobody appreciates a shower like an Appalachian trail hiker, right? Does that make sense?
1: It's pure ecstasy.
0: Yeah, it's like a, like a shower's normal. Like a normal shower's normal. But it's like if you had a shower after you're hiking... For seven days with muddy feet and your clothes stink and everything's gross and yeah, you
1: need that deprivation to appreciate it. You know,
0: you do, right? Because most people don't appreciate showers.
1: Yeah, I guess it's like the you know the starving kid needing you know when he gets food he's like ah you know
0: yeah or like uh, a guy who's just getting out of prison and gets some sex. <laughs> Assuming you're not getting any in prison. Um, so, dude, what kind of weirdos do you meet on the trail?
1: You got Yeah, you got to keep in mind anybody who's willing to take six months out of their life to go to the woods. Yeah, it's going to be a different breed. I mean, I think you definitely have your stereotypes. Um, some people are out there just kind of for the the challenge and the I, dare I say athletic side of it. But it's like some there people, is are, right. Yeah, There's an yeah.
0: endurance side of it, right?
1: Sure. It's kind of like I, I want to power through this and see how much my body can handle. You get those kind of hikers, but you definitely get the the hippie uh, drop-out-of-life kind of guys, you know, where it's just like, I, I just want to get out there and, and uh, get away from society for a little bit. So that that kind of stereotype, you definitely, those are you can get some weirdos out there.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. Have you ever had uncomfortable moments where you're, like, scared to camp with people?
1: No doubt. There was one time, <laughs> uh, no doubt, man. There was um, Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania, uh, you know, a lot of those ex-coal towns, um, their economy just plummeted. And the AT goes through a lot of those towns. Um, So you'd have some people near town going out there for an overnighter, and they're what are called shelters. They're like these three-walled wooden structures that are made by, um, well, all sorts of organizations make them. But in general, they're about every 10 to 20 miles along the AT. So in theory, you can sleep in these every night and not need a tent. I, mean, I wouldn't recommend that, but um, you do try to sleep in the shelters as much as possible. But the fact that there are these shelters, uh, a lot of people kind of you know, bottleneck to them because they know they're there. So you will sometimes get to a shelter at night, and it won't only be AT-through hikers there. There will be people from town. Um, but they, I remember one time in Pennsylvania, there, were these, uh, there was this couple Yeah, they were literally, it was pouring rain. So we get there and I was like, there's no way I'm camping out. There's no way I'm hiking on. Like I'm sleeping in this shelter, you know, I was drenched to the bone. My gear was drenched and I was pissed off. It was like uh, midnight, you know, I'd been hiking all day. I was just exhausted. Um, So I was so excited to get to this shelter and there's a couple and they're literally yelling at each other. You know, I I can hear them for like a mile, like just furiously yelling at each other. And you get there and they are... um, I never really knew, but I'm assuming they were cracked out. I saw some little glass pieces going in between their hands and just the way they were acting. He kept like uh, throwing up his fist at her. He smashed a bottle on the wall in the shelter.
0: And uh, yeah, he pulled out a knife at one point and it was just like. So are these individual shelters or is a large shelter? When you say three walls, like how big are these things? uh, I think
1: they're usually maybe probably about the size length of this table, maybe about 10, 10 feet. What and
0: and there's only one of them so like you're supposed to share them with those other people
1: yeah you so
0: you're in there with these cracked out people
1: luckily i had um three other hiking buddies with me guys um and the people like granted they were aggressive towards each other like they didn't bother us and and like i think by like 4 a.m they hadn't gone to sleep and we were just like <laughs> we were like dude can y'all please please be quiet like i, I gotta get some sleep and then uh um that was the worst one. Other than that, I think everything was everything was pretty safe. There's nothing too terrifying.
0: How did it play out?
1: Uh, we left the next morning. And but did, they they, were,
0: did they eventually go to sleep?
1: Uh, you know what? I don't even remember. I think at 4 a.m. I was so exhausted. I was just like, they were still yelling at each other. I, I was just out, you know, and that was that. Do you alive. remember what they were
0: yelling? Was oh, is this, is this one of those shelters?
1: There you go. Yeah, that's one of them. Wow, that's, exactly that's what a
0: dope-looking little place. It's kind of cool. It's all made out of logs.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's
0: got kind of a tin roof. Is that like a tin sheet roof?
1: Uh, yeah, they vary a lot. I mean, you'll get all wood. You know, you'll, you sometimes won't even get logs. Yeah, there you go. You can scroll
0: up and see all the other kinds. And those are for the hikers. Is that what they're for? Yeah. So that's so they've they've anticipated. There's so many people that do this trail that they've made these shelters. Mm-hmm. i've heard of these things in new zealand yeah they, they have has them too yeah they have them and they stock food in them and they leave a log so that hikers can uh write down like my friend remy uh remy warren was in new zealand and he used one of those and like wrote in the log you know where he was from and when he was there and i guess it also it, it helps identify if people are missing
1: exactly yeah i think it's it's a safety precaution so if you know you can kind of track down where was the last person seen you know where where were they last seen so if they were if they logged into you know shelter and then you know they can't find them they can say okay on this date we know that they were here so you can give a a given radius and know that if they are missing they're within at least within a certain you know 20 miles walking distance of there but yeah and i think those things actually turn into like uh just fun you know some people just go write full-on poems in there some you know confess like life stories in there oh, and it's like oh god <laughs> the, yeah the trail log books are entertaining no doubt
0: wow here warning what does it say harassing bear in camp night of five eleven. swiped claws in two tents hmm. <laughs> stepped on my tent till it collapsed on me please be careful he didn't even try to get the food hanging low on a branch. Oh, look at her name. <laughs> Passion, Passion flower. flower. <laughs> Passion flower with sad face. And there's another one. Bear ripped this is a different um this is a different person's handwriting. Bear ripped the bag hanging on my pack, which was hanging on my hammock. I was what does that say? Bouncing, Bouncing? Bouncing. Bouncing up and down. He stole my toilet paper exclamation point. Was it say subway? That's his name? Subway eat fresh.
1: Okay. Yeah PS the pivy is great. What's a pivy or privy? It's the uh privy. It's just like
0: an outhouse. Oh Okay, a compost toilet. How about this one? That shit cray all balls ghetto savior, Baltimore <laughs> <laughs> What does that even mean all balls ghetto savior, Baltimore? Okay <laughs> okay <laughs> well you're dealing with like fringe people right I mean these are people that are just not fitting into the corporate module very well they
1: walked out on life a little bit yeah, yeah
0: a little bit but you kind of did too right I mean you said you were an accountant yeah I was an accountant
1: in uh, in uh, Birmingham so I was an accounting major and uh, did that for about two years um, I mean, the job was good. I'm, everybody I worked with, I liked, but I, I definitely was able to recognize that that's not. I was not going to be an accountant, for, you know, for my life. So, um, yeah, I think I knew I was going to do some transition, try to get another job, do something, and the uh, the AT was kind of like this seems like the right thing to do, you know. And I'm, I'm single at the time, you know, no kids, uh, debt free, like you know, I didn't have a
0: mortgage, like time to go. So it just seemed like th- something this radical. Because it's so crazy committing to a six- to seven-month hike was going to force you to just change existence, change your th- your frequency, the whole deal. I mean, you're a freak now. You're you're wandering through the land, you know, <laughs> with all due respect. <laughs> right.
1: Thanks, Joe. Tell me what you really
0: think. <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad freak. Like my best friends are freaks. But it's, I mean, it's definitely a freak move, right? I mean. No doubt. Yeah. It's a, it's a very strange subset of human beings that don't not just drop out, but drop out. I mean, you're you're like committing to something. That is, I mean, was there ever a time where you were like halfway there, where you're like, maybe I just get a job in this fucking town?
1: (laughs) Uh, I know some people did that. You know, I think that was more for financial reasons. It was like, all right, I'm you know I'm I'm broke. I got I got to get some cash flow. But uh, no, man, I think I definitely had kind of like a grind mindset. Like I'm. You're going to make it. I'm going to make it, you know, and I think that, yeah.
0: Did you go with a bunch of people?
1: No. Uh, I think like 90% of hikers go on the AT alone. And the fact that there are just, there are a lot of hikers out there, surprisingly, particularly going north. Um, you, I think,
0: maybe 2,000 people try to go north every year. Wow. So when you're hiking, there's like a gang of people on the trail with you? So, but if you go south, um,
1: it changes every year but 10 to 15% of people that hike the AT go south. It's like you're going to have much less social circle stuff like that, but in general, you know, people are hiking around. Like you're going to meet people. You talk about the shelters like you're going to stumble into people walking by, you're going to meet them in town, you're going to meet them at the shelters and they become your buddies, you know. Like even I think the first the first night I uh, was on the AT, yeah, I made good friends with, you know, two other people and um hiked with them for a couple of weeks and then, you know, Different paces, you meet up with different people, you might hike with somebody for a month. Uh, so it's kind of like you just hike for a little bit with some people, you know, for some given a time.
0: Wow, what kind of weird stories are they telling <laughs> you about why they're out there? I mean, how many people are out there just like ducking a murder rap or but, something? Was it, um,
1: is it Eric Rudolph? Which one was he? Eric Rudolph, what, didn't he ran out in
0: the A.T. and like, um, Yeah, he he was, he was hiding out there for like... A long time. Oh, yeah. He was like... The, the Unabomber? No, no, no. That's, that's not the Unabomber. The Unabomber is uh, Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski. He's that guy that was in... Uh... Olympic Park Bomber. Oh, okay.
1: So I believe it was Eric Rudolph was found in a dumpster in North Carolina. He had been hiding out, like, full-on hiker, homeless look, beard grown, but he had been, you know, hiding out on the AT.
0: It seems like that would be a lot of pla- uh, a place where a lot of people get robbed cuz you know that you have money on you because you have to make this trail like you have to have some cash to buy food and
1: I never heard anything bad like that happen honestly. I know really? that there, there have been a few murders on the AT. Oh shit. But you think about think about any given city the murder rate, you know, it's like if you have 2000 thru hikers plus I, I mean 100,000 weekend hikers a year. I mean, more than that. It's like the probability, if you think about the AT hikers as a city, like a murder every few years really isn't, isn't bad, you know?
0: That's the same logic that they use for those um, Foxconn buildings where the people jump off the buildings where they're making cell phones in China. They go, well, you got to think about how many people work here. Of course, <laughs> if you kill themselves.
1: It's just a game of numbers at that point, right? I Somebody's going to do is. it.
0: I guess it is. So were you ever there when any of that went down? When they were looking for a murderer or anything? No,
1: there was a a famous case. um, I forgot her name. Her hiker name. She had a
0: a hiker name? Like Passion Flower?
1: All right, Joe. That's what Passion Flower was. That's called a trail name.
0: Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. So they're like rappers?
1: Yeah, so you get get your... (laughs) (laughs) DJ Joe... Yeah, you get your trail name within, I mean, yeah, within a week of being on trail. Within a week? Usually. It's usually if you do something monumental or stupid or something noteworthy is going to get you dubbed a name. Wow. Do you want to know my name? Yes. It was smooth. Smooth? Smooth. So I'd been in New Zealand prior to DAT and I had, talk about not like showering for a week at a time. We're getting real personal here. But I had shaved my legs, and I had shaved my body here so I could just, like, wipe down. Okay. And so when I did, came on the AT, I wanted to do the same thing. I was like, I'm just going to shave my body here so I can literally wipe down at night um, and, like, check out for ticks, Like, just just right. so made sense Makes to sense. me. <laughs> and um, Yeah, I was sitting around a, a, a fire early on, like, a couple nights in, and... Um, I remember my, like, sweaty legs were, like, glistening in the fire, and some guy was just like, dude, do you shave your legs? I'm like, I'm like, uh, no. (laughs) Uh, And then, yeah, smooth just came from there. That's
0: a funny one, man. When a man makes a decision to shave his legs, that's are you— No, I never have. I've shaved some body parts. I've shaved my butt. I'm sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, I've shaved my butthole uh, two, perhaps three times. I just had this conversation with someone about this the other day. Because it's, you know, I'm hairy. I'm a hairy dude other than the top of my head. But uh, I I get hairy. And so it's not the best for, like, keeping clean. So one day I was uh, shaving my package. And I said, let's just get crazy. Let's go all the way down there. Finish it all. And uh, I did. And one of the things I was shocked was... It changes the sound of your farts. (laughs) Did we talk about
2: this on the podcast before? I've I've heard it discussed on another
0: podcast. Yes, I talked about it, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it changes the sound of your farts. They become more (laughs) duck-like. Yeah, it's like there's something about your butt hair that muffles them. Not that that's the biggest issue in the world. But um, also when they grow back, it's quite unpleasant. The Mm. the grow back process. Like the itching and stuff, you know? There's something that happens when your, your hair starts growing back. Where you're like, hey, I didn't think of this. This isn't what I signed up yeah, for. Yeah, but that's where I end. I don't go through the legs, but I, I'm not opposed to it. It's not. It's. It seems to me like there's a problem with why it's an issue. You know, like why is it an issue? I don't know. So there's something about. Is it a sexuality thing? It's a taboo. Yeah. Well, why? Bring why it, is it? Bring okay it back, to, Joe. Why is it okay to shave your head? Why is it okay to shave your face? It's okay to shave all sorts of stuff, but if you start shaving, like, your armpits, right? Dudes who shave their armpits, like, hey, what's going on? Why are you shaving your armpits? You know? But why not? What, do you like hair? You like hairy armpits? Like, I don't, what's wrong with shaving your armpits? There's something, though. If your friend yawned, and you're like, hey, dude, uh, where the fuck is your armpit hair? It would be an issue, right? You'd start calling, like, hey, man, you see Mike's armpits? <laughs> dude, what it's weird. He, what the fuck's he doing? <laughs> right. You know? I know dudes that shave their legs, though, but they're, like, super into fitness, they're, like, you know... Right, um, you got, if
1: you shave your legs, you want your legs to look good, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you
0: don't want, like, big, sloppy, <laughs> fucked-up-looking legs that are shaved, also. Then you let highlight... Like, if you have, like, these big, like, blocky, tree-trunk, sloppy legs, you'd want to keep them hairy. That way you look like some sort of a bear, you know? That's Does that true. make sense? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Not to self. <laughs> Not to self. <laughs> yeah, there's something about, like, okay, here's another thing. You shave your eyebrows. You shave your eyebrows. Like, who, who the fuck shaves their eyebrows? That's weird, right? But if you decide to shave your eyebrows, people are going to just, just go, oh, you're one of those guys. Meanwhile, just a couple inches south, you shave your mustache, nobody gives a shit. Totally normal. Seems totally normal. There's something about shaving those eyebrows, right? That's true. Yeah. Or if you left your mustache and shaved your eyebrows. Get the fuck away from me. I'm <laughs> kind of a weirdo are you? We have weird rules. Um what was the weirdest name that you heard anybody get other than Smooth?
1: Where to begin? Um Fartmaster. <laughs> I think that's pretty self explanatory how I got that one. Uh one of my favorites was um a guy a buddy of mine I hiked with for a while, his name was Hoverjob. Hover job. Hoverjob. Hover job. He he went to. um so when you get out on the AT, you know, it's like most people aren't even that familiar with the woods, right? So you start trying to figure out tips and tricks on how to do things. So one of the things is how to use the public facilities. Mm. And uh, he was saying he, you know, he does the hover job. Oh, yeah, that's a good move. That's a-
0: yeah, everybody knows that one, right? You stop at some gas station somewhere and you got to take a shit. You have to be really careful.
1: Yeah, you don't want test to test that seat. Uh,
0: now, speaking of ticks, you were talking about ticks. I know Lyme disease is a huge issue on the East Coast. I saw
1: something the other day that was saying this year is going to be a record year, some walnut hatching
0: season, something, and I don't know. It's terrifying stuff. I did this show back a while back on uh, Sci-Fi called Joe Rogan Questions Everything, and one of one of the things we talked about was mostly conspiracy theories, and it was really. Interesting to find the mindset of these conspiracy people and how the, the they're all very similar. Whether it's Bigfoot or aliens or what, it's a really similar sort of bizarre mindset. That the, the way they look at things, they have this very compartmentalized, fucked up way of looking at things. But one of the ones that we studied that was really fascinating, something called Morgellons. Morgellons is a weird disease where people believe that they have these fibers growing out of their skin. And they start itching themselves, and they create these like legions, these scratches, and then things get attached to them, like fibers from like perhaps like from a carpet or something like that. And they think that they're growing out of their skin. And most people think it's a psychosomatic disorder, but one of the guys that I talked to was a doctor who also had Morgellons, and he was really uh, very objective about it. And he said there seems to be some sort. of of a um, neurotoxic effect that's connected to Lyme disease and He said that one of the things that these people that have more have in common They almost all have Lyme disease and what he believes is that ticks contain not just Lyme disease but a host of other different sort of uh, Diseases that you can catch and so because of these weird different bacterias and different things that these toxins that these ticks potentially possess when um you get bit by certain ticks you can actually hallucinate and he would say t- yeah he was talking about how we saw a thread moving across his eyeball wait this is real stuff this isn't sci-fi stuff no no, no it's not sci-fi stuff at all it's real people never even heard of this more jones yeah well it 's generally thought to be a psychosomatic disorder, and that 's why I was interesting talking to this doctor because he was saying yes and no because he was saying well there isn't he believes there 's a real issue, and that issue is Lyme disease, but that these pathogens that are in these ticks they they're, they're not it 's not uniform they 're different in all these different ticks, some of them are more potent than others, and that there may be a host of different unidentified pathogens there's not just lyme disease but several others and some of them have a neurotoxic effect and this neurotoxic effect can induce um hallucinations and some of those hallucinations can be that you think that your body's growing fibers out of it and he he said that he saw it moving across his eye he goes i know intellectually that it was not there he goes there was no i examined it i looked at it it was not there but i saw it he's like i saw he he personally experienced the hallucination Yeah. And the other thing is a lot of these people, they go undiagnosed for long periods of time because for the longest time, uh, Lyme disease went undiagnosed and still does. I have a good buddy of mine. Him and his son got bit um, by ticks when they were fishing. And uh, he brought his son to the doctor. And by then, that bullseye, you know, around that grows. around If you get bit by a tick that has Lyme disease, there's like a bullseye. It looks like a red circle that grows around the area where the tick bit him. And the bullseye had gone away by the time he brought him to the doctor. And so the doctor was incredulous. And he was like, nah, I, don't, I don't believe that's Lyme disease. The kid's going to be fine. And then he started getting Bell's palsy. So half of his face was paralyzed. And that's when they really realized that this, oh, my God, this kid has Lyme disease for sure. And then, Good grief. Yeah, and they were, they were in real bad shape. Like, my friend, who's skinny as it is, he wound up losing like something like 20, 30 pounds. And it fucked with him for uh, close to a year. The other guys that he was with, uh, they got Lyme disease as well. Like several people they were with got Lyme disease, and they were all fucked up for months.
1: I knew yeah. one guy that got it, and my, I think he went to the doctor and got some shots or antibiotics. I don't know what the treatment was, but he came back like full force and finished the at.
0: Yeah, you can do that. I mean, yeah. if you get if you get, catch it like really catch quick. we had a guy on the podcast, uh, Steve Steve Kotler who got it and he was undiagnosed for over a year and he wound up being bedridden for three years oh my gosh yeah yeah because the more it sinks into your system the more you let it you know Take go over. without antibiotics without treatment and again the, what this doctor was telling me i'm just relaying what this one doctor who had lyme disease was saying is that he believes that there's a host of different pathogens there's not just one and he, th- he, he said there could be many that are undiscovered. Like Lyme disease is fairly recent in terms of its discovery or our diagnosis of it. I feel like it's within the last two or three decades at the most. So I would worry about that. Scary stuff, out, man. Yeah, when, yeah, when you're out there. I don't the risk that. of the Lyme disease on the Appalachian Trail is going to be high this year. Trail life. Oh, my God. How do you read trail life when you're out there and you don't even have uh, fucking the cell phone came service? out today,
2: though. Oh,
1: shit. Is talking about the, are the, the walnut
2: hatching? I didn't say specifically that. There's another article when I Googled Lyme disease from Connecticut that says that uh, testing on found ticks with Lyme disease is higher this year, more than normal. Yeah, they're fucking
0: creepy. Do you get bitten when you go hunting? You can. I mean, I'm really careful. Real careful to check myself. Also real careful to keep myself covered up. You know, I wear gaiters. I wear, um, you know, uh, long like uh, merino wool that goes all the way down to my ankles, and then I pull merino wool socks way up over that. I don't have any exposed up to my wrists, and I even wear gloves sometimes, even in the heat. I wear like a thin layer glove just to also, it's good to protect your hands from uh, the sun, but also to protect your hands from animals seeing that white skin. Mm. Like, you want a, as little white as you can that's exposed, but um, I, I think about that primarily about ticks. It scares the shit out of me.
1: Yeah, I wonder what percentage of ticks actually carry. Cause I feel like I've probably been bitten by 20 ticks in my life, you know? So I'm like, I don't know what percentage of them are carrying it, you I know? definitely
0: got bit by a bunch when I was a kid, um, but I, I never got Lyme. But it wasn't around that much when I was a kid. They, there was a thing about the New York, upper New York state area being unbelievably infested. Have you ever seen a Lyme disease map? Like a map of Lyme disease infestation? It's in the Northeast, big time, isn't it? huge, huge. Huge in the Northeast and huge in New York State, like uh, that upper New York State area. Just really, really devastating. I wonder why that is. Is it related to mice? I don't know. Deers, deer 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 ticks apparently are a big issue. Could, here it is. Look at that. There you go, Northeast. That's in East. 2015. But there's a few in California, especially in, you see Northern California has a bunch. But look at that fucking Northeast, man. That's just like a zombie plague. That's awful. Massachusetts is completely covered in it. Look at it. The whole new state. Jer-
1: new Jersey, too, yeah. Ugh,
0: covered. Yeah. But uh, just a devastating disease if you don't catch it. But I guess it's spreading across the country. They're finding it in Florida now, new strains in Florida. What other uh, issues do you have to deal with when it comes to, like, bugs and diseases and stuff like that? Giardia? Oh, yeah. So, what? yeah, I was going to ask you that. How do you, you, how do you get your water? Like, what are you getting?
1: Uh, there's a thing called um, basically, you all freshwater sources, you know, so streams, lakes, ponds. Unfortunately, um, the East Coast is, is so wet, you know, you're going to cross over a water source very frequently. Um, generally, several times a day, you're going to cross at least a stream. So you fill up your water there. Uh, you carry two different containers, two, two bottles. Um, one for dirty, one for clean. Uh, so you fill up a liter of dirty water from the stream. Um, a ton of different water purification methods. I don't know if you do it in your backcountry hunting, but um, the big one I use was your Squeeze. It's like a, a nozzle you screw on top of your uh, your water bottle, so You fill up a dirty water bottle, screw this um, water filter off, and you squeeze out clean water. So that's what I used. Um, but I mean, a lot of people. And it really use, like,
0: works that well. Do so you just squeeze it and the water comes out clean? Yeah, the filtration yeah. system is that good.
1: Yeah, and wow, it, it, it takes
0: out Giardia. Y- yes, I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm still standing. Um,
1: but uh, yeah, and then they're like the droplets, which are basically uh, chemical ch- ch- chemicals, right? You know. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I mean what else is there? All sorts of filters and uh chemicals. Some people try to boil it, but that's just a pain. You don't yeah. want to boil water all the time.
0: And then wait for it to cool down before you could drink it.
1: Yeah, I will say though, by the end of the AT you talk about finishing in winter. Um, you know, it's like whenever you stop at these fresh water sources, you know, the water's flowing and I'm you know, it's like twenty degrees out, fifteen degrees, you know. I'm like, I don't want to stick my hand in that freezing water and get my hands cold i can't heat them back up you know right um so i'll admittedly not that i recommend (coughs) this but i was i was drinking it straight man wow yeah that's risky it was risky but it was just like i was so done by the end of it you know i was just like uh i i I don't have the patience to stop with freezing fingers like so numb you know the dexterity is just totally gone you know i'm like ugh. it's
0: just like (gasps) wow so. i'll see a doctor eventually yeah i know it's <coughs> now when you when you got to the end seven months is that what it took you
1: i think it was i got off trail for two two weeks in between there for some family stuff but uh if you took out that two weeks it was six months i was on trail so when you get off trail did you go fly somewhere honestly i went to france with my family
0: whoa that's not that doesn't count
1: dude I, I and it was like i was just a human trash can i was just like cheese wine everything man i, I like i gained <coughs> i gained at least five ten pounds that week and i was just like
0: wow just pigging out just and enjoying pigging. you must have enjoyed the shit <laughs> out of that vacation though
1: <laughs> it was kind of like that it was like you know a lot of guys are getting off trail they're like oh man i'm totally broke and everything i'm like oh, I'm, I'm going to france for a week or two <coughs>
0: <clears throat> so some people get off trail just because financially they can't hack it anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean you got you know, a nineteen year old guy who's out of high school that doesn't have any savings and it's like, Oh, I'm gonna go hack the AT. This sounds like a great idea. They haven't done any research, no planning, don't know anything about gear or anything, but you know, they've uh read a walk in the woods, um and they think this is a good idea. What is a walk in the woods? It's uh it's by Bill Bryson. It's it's probably the most popular AT book out there. It's like um It's just kind of a funny story. He's a good writer, Um, but he wrote that I think in like the mid '90s. But that book, um, if you look at like the Appalachian Trail hikers, um, it was just like a walk in the woods is released. It was like wow. It was like huge publicity. And have you heard of Wild? The book, movie, Reese Witherspoon.
0: No, I, Yeah, I did hear about it. I never saw it. But, yeah, that was was that a movie about the Appalachian Trail?
1: Pacific Crest Trail. But it's, <coughs> that was the same thing. It was like the AT is so historic and iconic for long-distance hiking trails that A Walk in the Woods did for the AT what Wilde did for the Pacific Crest Trail. But Wilde was only re- released a few years ago. Um, but, I mean, same thing. It was like Pacific Crest Trail was relatively unknown to hikers, and that book was released and, and movie, and it was just like... Now, Pacific Crest Trail is really hot right now.
0: The Pacific tre- Crest Trail, though, is the one that goes from Mexico to California, and there's or not or it
1: goes all the way to Canada. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. To yeah. The top <clears throat> there's not that much water there.
1: No, right. You talk about the East Coast being wet. I think.
0: So, what do they do there?
1: Uh, my understanding is they have big, um, I don't know the terminology. It's a big water reservoir, like a big concrete cylinder, out in the middle of the uh, of the desert. And, um, I don't know if it's a rainwater or if somebody actually goes out there and fills it up, kind of like a trail, trail angel kind of goes out there and- Trail angel? That's another term too.
0: Trail angel? Trail angel. Uh, all
1: right. <laughs> take, we'll, take, we'll take a, we'll take a side step into trail angel. So trail- Smooth is going to educate <laughs>
0: us on the trail angel. Go ahead, smooth.
1: All right. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get an AT dictionary going. Um, But yeah, the trail angels and that term was, um, so when you're hiking on the AT, you come to towns and you're like, uh, I need transportation to the grocery store. You know, the grocery store is actually 10 miles away from the trail crossing. Like, okay, does that mean I hike 10 more miles down the highway to get, you know, some groceries and 10 more miles back? No, you hitchhike and then you hitchhike in town. That's kind of that, that, that person then becomes a trail angel.
0: Whoa. But hitchhiking is fucking dangerous. Have you ever done it? Um, maybe in the younger days, I'm trying to think, I definitely got rides from people when my car broke down in, in Massachusetts, but I don't think I actually hitchhiked. Like I'm with, pretty the, sure. with the,
1: like that was desperation without yeah, yeah, yeah. the intent, like I'm going to get a ride from somebody.
0: No, I never, I never went out there and put my thumb out and said, I'm going to get from here to there by hitchhiking. Never did that. You did. Yeah. I mean, but you did. You're, you're a fairly young guy. How old are you? 28 28 yeah okay so you're talking about within the last 10 years you hitchhiked a fair amount that's fucking crazy yeah that's like when people already know that hitchhiking is a good way to kill folks <laughs> <laughs> like if you want to kill somebody what do you, you kill some fucking kid with a backpack that's the move right it's a great opportunity to kill right but if you're gonna be one of those psychos I yeah would, you know i would just assume yeah i, I, I Everybody was pretty nice, you know? But it's different parts of the country, too. You know, like, if you're going to go hitchhiking in, like, New York, you're going to run into some really weird people. If you're, like, just outside of Manhattan, you got your thumb out, you're trying to get picked up, you might get picked up by a fucking complete psycho. But if you're in, like, Wyoming or something, and there's, like, no one out there, and you're hiking, and... Like, rural Alabama? Mm. Yeah, woof. Pennsylvania with those crackheads screaming at each exactly. other. Exactly. There are weirdos
1: everywhere. But we'll say, like, uh, so before the ATO was in New Zealand. And New Zealand is higher standard of living than the States. And I feel like you, there's very low crime rate there. And hitchhiking is not taboo there. I always heard that, you know, New Zealand was kind of like the States uh, was in the 50s. And it was just like kind of like a, a safe, happy place. You know, there's no crime. Everybody's nice to each other. High standard of living. Um, and in New Zealand, it was like they had um, some bus stops, like uh, the equivalent of like a bus stop, and it was like a hitchhiking bench. So you would sit there and like people would drive on their way to work and somebody would be sitting on the bench like, hey, pick me up, you know. But it was like systemized, you know. It was like people wow. hitchhike. So it's like like the taboo was kind of broken in New Zealand. It was like this is normal people. Or it's it's economical. It's efficient. Like why not, you know.
0: But it's, it's not something I would ever do, but man, I remember I got my, my, tr- my car rather broke down once in a, in a snowstorm and these people took me back to their house and they were so normal. They were really normal people and they made me that I, I was on my way to visit my girlfriend and her mom and her drove to get me at these people's house and I was in there, I was driving up there and we just got caught in a freak snowstorm, car broke down and I remember thinking like, what kind of person just pick someone up? And takes them to their house. They're so must, nice. Must
1: be a weirdo, right?
0: No, they were really nice. They were really nice people. They just took a chance, you know.
1: I guess the the fear comes from that, like point oh one percent, right? That's going to mm-hmm. do something. It's like vast majority, or you know, why not? I'm just going to help somebody out. It's like something with like Airbnb. There was that fear. It was like, oh, there's no way I could let somebody come into my house or couch surfing. You know, you know what couch surfing is? It's like um, Airbnb for free, essentially. You put up your couch on this website and you offer, um, yeah, say like I've got a couch. Does anybody want to stay on it? And then you say wow. like, I'm coming through on these dates and you request the couch for free. But it's like I remember that when that website was like <coughs> really becoming popular about ten years ago, people had that same idea. It was like, no way, this is only for nut jobs. And then it was like it's hugely popular now, and Airbnb and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, let somebody come and stay in your stay house. Stay
0: with locals and meet travelers. Share authentic travel experiences as opposed to what fake travel experiences? <laughs> the fuck, does that mean authentic? Meet new people, explore the world, go on a rape binge. <laughs> find for- a couch. Oh, find a host. There's a couch. Is a, a graphic of a couch. So this is what is this? So what is this website, Jamie? Couchsurfing
2: Couchsurfing.com, Yeah.
0: How? What, but that's what's crazy is that somebody decided to organize this. They decided to make a website. Every year we support 400,000 hosts, 4 million surfers. I love how I call them surfers. Imagine if you're a real surfer and you heard this. Like, listen, bitch, you're not a fucking surfer. You don't even have to balance. You're lying down on some dude's couch. 100,000 events. They support 100,000 events. This is crazy. I never knew about this.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're also like niche websites that have... So another one... Uh, uh, Scroll did, down, Jamie, like, that, that image. Warm showers is another one. That's for
0: cyclists. Look at that guy, like, up on the top of the world. Ready for your next adventure? Plan a trip. Stay on my couch. It's very strange. In Paris, you can go surf in Paris. Look, in Paris, you've got fine food and wine and cheese and bread. You can afford that? You can't afford a fucking hotel room? <laughs> that's, that's like a fucking expensive meal right there. You're looking at some really delicious food. It's very, uh, this is strange. Because it's very romanticized. Like, this is really organized. This website's super well done. Local hosts, and they have avatars, they have images. Reviews. Yeah, oh my God, look, it's Lewis. Join Couchsurfing to see Lewis's full profile. It's free. (laughs) (laughs) About me, current mission. Can I host one person only? Wow, this is weird. You can put your catch up, Joe. No, nope, that's not going to happen. I have kids. <laughs> but it is interesting. I mean, it's like, it's, the, the good aspects of it are, I'm sure, far outweigh the negatives. You know, most people are just enjoying themselves, meeting nice people, meeting like-minded people, traveling around. Like, my fear, obviously humor aside, but my fears are probably fairly unfounded, right? But isn't that kind of how it is with life? Like most most people that you meet, like m- the vast majority of people, are really pretty nice. Like this is well a, intentioned. Yeah, it's a really safe time to be a person. You know, I mean, almost all interactions you have with people on a daily basis are safe and fairly friendly. Even like rude people are like, what's the big? deal? they say a word? You know, like most, They're almost not going to no- harm you. Yeah, most almost nothing happens most of the time. But we're so obsessed with the news. Where you tune in to, you know any news channel, all you're getting is the collective bad news of Shotgun. seven billion people, because that's what sells. If it bleeds, it leads. Run with it, Mike. And Mike runs with it. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is that's actually a very, when you really look at it that way, that's a very positive trend that people are doing this and hosting, the hosting people,
1: shared shared economy.
0: Yeah, what's just that's really nice. You know, it's nice that people will offer up their couch for free. Yeah. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. So do you ever stop and think, like, what if I hadn't gone on this journey of exploration and I stayed an accountant and you would be living that life of the droning existence where every day you just fucking showing up to the same place and crunching numbers and hating life and wishing for some kind of adventure or something different
1: no i i can't i can't relate to that i i think no matter what whether it's at or something i think i would have yeah i'm too impatient you know i get bored too easily something you know i would have done
0: something but a lot of people don't a lot of people are like you and they just never make that move they never they never take that chance.
1: So, yeah, I think when I talk to even a lot of my friends that are still doing... I'm not going to call them crappy jobs, but, you know, because I think they do provide a lot of things that they like. You know, security, you can't... Some people love that security, like getting yeah. a paycheck, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's like, I, I don't think they view it like that. It's not like, oh, this may not be the best thing, but I like it, you know? It's not like
0: I mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. It's like some some people think this is so bad or I, I just can't I just have to like I just don't think that 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 threshold ever crosses most people you know
0: yeah uh, well you know p- people vary you know the, the personality types that go on that trail I mean that's like a very very extreme personality type but I think most people have a certain amount of, if not wanderlust at least curiosity it's just a matter of how much of it do you how much of it do you nurture how much of how much of that, that needed to feed. You know, right? There's also, there's also a real problem than not recognizing the finite nature of existence. You know, I mean, just when you're 20, especially, or 21 or whatever, whatever it is, when you enter into these jobs, you don't realize like, Hey man, you've only got like a few decades right. of, of good times. You could
1: do this for 40 years yeah. easily.
0: Oh, easily, easily. Yeah. And then we've all met those people that have done it for 40 years and they're just beaten down by life and they have that dull, desperate look in their eyes. It's just a sadness in their eyes where their life is just, it's not, it's not good. It hasn't turned out well. There's not a lot of joy there.
1: Yeah. And hold on to the vacations big time.
0: Oh, <gasps> you're scaring the shit out of me, Chris. You're scaring the shit out of me. So you in the middle of doing all this, right? So you do this, you go on this crazy seven month adventure, and when it's over, what was that like? When you when you hit the end and you realize, is there like a bell you ring or anything like that? I should put a bell up there.
1: So I mean, going northbound, there's there's like the there's like this epic mountain and It's like a beautiful big mountain, um, one of the, like the most epic climbs. Um, that's in Maine. So if you go south, you end in Georgia and you end on Springer mountain, which is just not as, not as epic, not as dramatic, you know, you're right. So, but yeah, I mean, you finish it. There's just a plaque and it's like, dude, you finished.
0: Really? And you touch the plaque. Do you have to touch it? What if you get right before it and you quit? It's like that's right it. before, like a foot before the fuck this.
1: Just collapse. Yeah. Like two no, feet I'm, before the plaque. Yeah. No, I'm Does good. It count? Yeah. That's it. So that's That's in Maine. That's the, in, that's the finish. And that's um, the finish.
0: And, uh, yeah. Wow. How many people fake it take a picture of that? Dude, dude. You can go hike that in one day, yeah, for yeah, sure. That's, you would, at least you would, I would probably do that. I'd go hike it in a day and then get that <laughs> weird feeling of watching these people that are covered in two inches of grime climb up that hill. Can you pull up Springer Look at that guy. guy. Pull up that motherfucker. Mountain? Look at that guy. That guy looks like he's been hiking for seven months. Hiker. What's it called? Spring. S- Springer, Springer Mountain. Springer Mountain. Look at that guy's face. Jesus Christ. He's just all hair and... So, um... There you go, yeah. Well, that's the, uh... That's just, where it starts? Is uh, that the gateway?
1: That's that's what's called the approach trail. It's not the, um... It's like...
0: I like how it has, like, a, an awning.
1: That's, that's the actual plaque on the end, but that's not a great shot of it.
0: There you go, that's it. So that's where it starts? Yep. National it. Scenic Trail... Now, who established this? Uh, so there's a guy named Bitten MacKay. Uh, imagine trying to talk people into doing that with you. Like when you first started doing that, like what year did this guy do this?
1: Ah, uh, I know, I know these dates, but I, I don't. Think take the a 30s, guess. Thirties. 30s? Thirties. 30s.
0: So imagine nineteen thirties. Fucking Great Depression, that old deal. Those are the people back then. And this guy says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk all the way up to Maine, and I'm going to start a whole movement. A bunch of other people are going to do it as well. They're yeah. probably like, fuck
1: you, dude. <laughs> and, uh, Get a job, hippie. Th- yeah, the CCC at the time was you know,
0: helping construct all the uh, the trails. Look at that. Springer Mountain, Georgia, 8.5 miles. Mount, how do you say it? Kat- Katahdin. Katahdin, Maine, 2000. 108.5 miles. Those 0.5 are a motherfucker. That last 0.5, oh. So when you did it and you touched the sign and you're like, all right, I did it.
1: I cried. Did you? I did. I literally collapsed. Wow. Like you fell to your knees? It was like, it was seriously one of the most emotional times of my life. Like, I would imagine. I was just, yeah, even even like that morning, I woke up and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is ending, you know? It's like so much, just so long. I'd been thinking about it from... Yeah. I mean, childhood, you know, and then it was like not only thinking about it for you know a decade, but then it was actually hiking the darn thing for six months. And it was just like getting there. It was like by that time, like I had stress fractures forming in my feet. And uh, yeah, I was just in bad shape. I wasn't sleeping well because, you know, at at night it was getting down to zero degrees every night and my sleeping bag was not cutting it. So it was just like, it was just a lot, man, you know,
0: stress fractures in your feet, huh?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I was, yeah, and I've I had had stress fractures from cross country in high school, so I knew what they felt like. I'm like, yeah, oh, this is coming. It's just a matter of time, you know.
0: Now, what kind of hiking shoes did you wear? I mean, it seems like your gear would be critical.
1: Big time, yeah. Uh, I, I started off with a brand called Salewa. They were okay. they're kind of like a technical climbing shoe, actually. But um, the fact that they are a little more uh, stiff, stiff, exactly, um, makes them you know good for some tough tough trail. But uh, I switched to uh, trail runners, and uh, I don't, do you run?
0: Yeah, I started re- really, really recently, like a few days ago. I think ago. I saw
1: you post something on Facebook, you had a, rough, a rough run.
0: Fucking terrible at <laughs> it. i am bit like a bowling ball. It's not, <laughs> not good for running. i to lose some weight if I want to keep doing this. But yeah, I've been running for a few days now.
1: But uh, yeah, I, I switched to um, basically just running shoes with a little thicker tread. Like Solomon's? solomons is a great brand uh,
0: yeah, I, I got those for the very purpose of running up hills you like them yeah they seem good they've got good traction to them good tread like a thick tread but yet they're still built like a running shoe very yeah. light
1: those are good hiking shoes something that your feet can breathe and give you some cushion
0: and you don't need any ankle support you don't feel like I feel like that's overrated it's more of uh, like a mountaineering thing
1: yeah i think there's kind of this theory that your ankles toughen up mm-hmm. um I don't know if that's really true, but I, I think I kind of fell into that belief that I was rolling ankles so much in the first, like, 100, 200 miles of the trail, and by the end of it, I was just like, just keep going, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've always wondered about that because a lot of uh, people that hunt, they wear these, like, really stiff, very tactical mountain hiking boots where they, uh, they go don't up. I get that. Yeah, you know, they go, like, 10 inches up the ankle, and they lace them up tight
1: yeah, I, so yeah, when I used to go hunting with my dad when I was a kid, we would we would wear those boots. And I, looking back, I'm like, I, I, I don't get it. And is it just because maybe the brush is just so thick, you need something like durable to crust through that brush? But it's like I don't think so. What do you I mean? What do you, what do you wear when you go hunting?
0: Well, I uh, it varies. I've never worn um, running shoes like those, like the trail running shoes. But I know some people do 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 wear those, and they they like them. And some really good hunters they wear them exclusively. They were like lightweight trail runners. And they, and even um, Solomon actually makes a gaiter for those trail runners. Yeah. So that you can, for people to know what a gaiter is, a is like a thing that you slip over your shoes and it cinches down tight so that rocks and dirt and stuff doesn't get deep into your shoe. Um, and I think Kuyu is coming out with a, a boot that actually has a gaiter built in, which is kind of interesting. But then you can see the Solomon Trail gaiters. Yep. Yeah. So, so the idea is to make sure that you're not getting irritants, dirt and debris, and shit and debris. Did you ever wear anything like that when you were Definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. Is yeah. that a is that a must have?
1: Uh, some hikers might say kinda of rolled their eyes at it. I started off rolling my eyes at it and then it was just like you're saying, it would just get I mean, five times a day I would get a little pine needle in my sock and it's just like, Oh damn it, like yeah. I gotta get something to keep that going out. So
0: I would imagine that you would have an incredible ability to test gear. Like, nobody would probably know what gear is effective and durable and really, really, like, uh, over the long term.
1: Like, yeah, totally. And it's like, um, you know, part of the AT, I'd, I'd been backpacking for over 10 years, and I thought I was kind of, okay, I'm pretty familiar with this stuff. And it was like, no, I, know, mm. I didn't know anything about backpacking. And, uh, yeah, you test everything, you know, and it's like, even, even after all your research, you start realizing, like, hmm, there's a little bit better stuff out there. Or, yeah, I can actually tweak this and improve this and that. But, yeah, by the end of it, it's like anybody who's through-hiked can can get into some real nerdy backpacking gear talk, you know?
0: Well, hunters get into real nerdy backpacking gear talk when they talk about, like, deep-in-the-woods backcountry hunting.
1: Because weight's an issue. Yeah,
0: huge issue. They chop the ends off of their toothbrushes, you know? That's like a, that's a big issue with people. You did that, too? Big time, yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. Like, the idea that the bottom of your toothbrush... Every ounce, man. That's you Well, ounces equals pounds, right?
1: Yeah, it was, it was one thing that got Cody and I talking. Was Cody was talking about cutting cutting weight from backpacking. I feel like my impression, at least, uh, you know, when we were talking, I was like thinking hunters were almost kind of the the chubby guy in the blind was kind of my idea. I was like, when my dad and I would hunt, it was kind of just truly sitting there with blue jeans, and it was just kind of like, oh, all right, there's a duck. Right. You know, it was like talking to Cody. I think <laughs> the hunting I was doing was pretty amateur, and it was Cody was talking about cutting weight significantly and that hunters have kind of latched on to some of the backpacking, um, you know, ethos, if you will, about, you know, shaving every ounce. But it's like, y'all carry so much more gear. Like You've yeah. got weapons you know like that's those things aren't made to count every ounce i would imagine
0: well it depends on what you're carrying but there are some lightweight rifles that people use that are like carbon fiber barrels and stuff but the issue with those is they unless you're like prone and you're laying down on something they move a little bit more and a lot of people think they're not as accurate as like a real heavy rifle like a lot of guys sacrifices yeah they're like a heavy rifle like a heavy barrel, a thick, heavy barrel, and the same thing with bows. That's it's a weird thing. Like some people like heavy bows because it's you sh- you hold steadier. You know, there's the the thought behind it that like you have something light in your hand, you you're, and you're shaking a little bit. Like maybe your little nerves, you might move around a little bit more. But if you got something that's stable. really heavy, you know, you'll have like more stability when you're executing the shot. But. Camera well,
1: equipment, too, yeah,
0: a lot of guys carry spotting scopes and fifteen power binos, and then they have eight to ten power binos around their neck and yeah eight to ten yeah, wow. yeah, depends on what kind of stuff you use, you know some people they'll sacrifice uh like spotting scopes they won't do that, they won't bring it, but some people wear some people also like to film other stuff, so they bring tripods for filming and a tripod for glassing glassing meaning, you know, you lock a uh, either binoculars or a spotting scope on a tripod, so you get a real steady view because it really mm. makes a difference. Like if you you see more animals, yeah. If you're holding up like the binos in your hand, you got to kind of like put your elbows on your knees and you sit down, but it's not as good. Like being on a tripod is the best way for sure. But it's then you got to carry that equipment. F- yeah, you got to carry that fucking tripod around. And there's, I think there's a big difference between people that. They carry their stuff in, and then they make a camp versus people that keep their camp on their back all the time. There's a lot of that too there's different kinds of hunting
1: like do you do you know the average like bag weight? I think Cody was mentioning it was like sixty or seventy pounds. Do you have yeah. any idea
0: yeah, a lot of guys will carry in sixty seventy pounds that's pretty standard, but it's again insane. they're not these guys are not carrying their camp on their back. But if they do, like if they know they have to go in deep and they have to live off their back, like they have a bivvy p- bivy tent and they, they do the whole thing off their back, most guys will try to drop it in the 40s. But if you carry around 40 fucking pounds, man. Like, there's a company called Outdoorsman's in Phoenix, and they make, like, a real high-end pack. And one of the things that they've made that they actually just sent me, it's a pack frame that has, like, an Olympic plate mount on it. So you can put, like, a 45-pound plate and another 45-pound plate, like, a 90-pound plate, and you train with this fucking pack frame on so you put the pack frame on plate you mean like a literally like, like a Olympic, weight like lifting like uh, lifting yeah, plate. yeah, yeah okay and it slides onto your back the same way it would slide onto the end of a barbell and it you know you use a clamp like a uh, like a barbell clamp locks the plate in place and then you go up hills with these fucking things on so these guys are just training, training. yeah they're training to get ready for these backcountry hunts I had the same idea as you did. I thought hunters were like, "Oh, the Duck Dynasty guys—they're all fat, right?" And they—they just rednecks. And they're shooting at shit. Yeah. No, not Western hunting. So there's a big difference between, between the southern the Southern hunter. Yeah, well, there's a big difference between <laughs> blind hunting, like people that sit in these blinds. when what a blind is is like for people listening is like um, it's basically like a little structure that's covered with like camo, and you're you're hiding. You're hiding, waiting for the animal, and then you shoot them. Or a tree stand same thing you 're sitting in the tree stand you 're waiting and then you shoot them there 's a big difference between that and these Western hunters, particularly like elk hunters, because they 're going into the mountains where these animals live, or mule deer they 're going to the high country and you 're climbing up you 're going up thousands of feet of elevation every day, up and down, up and down, and you have to have massive endurance so a lot of these guys start trail running a lot of these guys start uh, putting packs on their back with with heavy weights in the pack and training getting ready for these otherwise. You're fucking miserable. If you're not in, like, real shape, you're yeah. miserable.
1: Yeah, I gotta get fit. You gotta get real fit. Like, That's interesting. Yeah, it's Hath- not what people hunters. think it is.
0: Well, my friend Cameron Haynes, he does a lot of ultra marathons. He just, he just did the Bigfoot 200, which is 205 miles in Washington State. How long does that take? 78 hours. He ran for 78 hours. Wow. Fuck everything about that. Wow. All right, but, but that just shows you. I mean, he's as extreme as it gets. You know, he's, like, one of the top bow hunters in the world, but the point is, these people are athletes. The the, the group of them, the elite of the elite, there's so few. It's a really, really small club of individuals that get to that point, but the vast majority of them are in spectacular shape, where they're constantly running trails. They're constantly working out. They're constantly in shape, and the reason being is if you're not you're not going to be successful in the backcountry, right? And one of the things that really haunts them is when they can't get to an animal because they're out of shape. And I've been there before. I've tried that. Where I like when I was last year, I was hunting with Cam, and we went up. we were trying to get to this elk, and he ran up the hill like a fucking mountain goat. And I'm halfway behind him, like. <laughs> I thought I was in pretty good shape, and I am for the stuff I do, but right. I wasn't in good shape for running up hills. You know, you gotta you gotta do that. To be in shape for running up hills. You got to run up hills, and a lot of these guys, they they're, they have these uh, events, these uh, trained to hunt events that they do where they compete against each other, and they put backpacks on and they they run and they they, they try to get from point A to point B faster. Which a lot of people are criticizing. They think it's kind of dangerous and it's because it's not really running
1: with weapons. What what's dangerous wait, about it? Wait, oh, just, you're not, talking about still about the barbell? Yeah,
0: like usually they, the barbell things is completely new and ventured the Outdoorsman's. It hasn't even come out yet. But most people just pack heavy weights like sandbags and right. strap them down at their backpack. But uh, it's it's a different world as far as, like, the perception of what what these people are versus what they're actually doing. And there's a real ignorance when people are talking about hunting. They think of it as, like, this really easy thing You just go shoot this animal and they think the hunters are cruel cuz that's what ban- the thing that killed Bambi and right. you know what I mean like this is weird ideas that people have in their head about what hunting is
1: and i think in general that that was kind of my my impression of the uh i guess i don't know if easy is the right word but yeah yeah not not physical certainly not physical
0: no one would think from the outside without really e- examining it and looking in that you're talking about like elite endurance athletes. No. But if you took the average person that thinks they're in shape, and I have friends that have done this before, taking people that think they're in shape and take them on these hunts and these people break down. Slug. Yeah, they just can't make it. They can't do it. They're just they just not prepared for it. And it's hard to prepare. And there's they say there's very few things you can do other than put weight on your back and go up go up and down hills. Other than just do it. Yeah. Um, some people say, uh, st- boxes, you know, steps, you know, those things like when people step up with one leg uh, at a gym, yeah. you know, and they, and they do that over and over again. They, some people say that that's a good way to prepare for, for hiking as well. Just box steps over and over again, like commit just to that. Yeah. Yeah. Just get those quads. I weird, weirdly in some ways, um, trail bikes are apparently very good. Like doing dirt bike because you're constantly pumping one leg at a time. And apparently that is very good for mimicking the the type of uh, strength that you need to get up and down hills. Hmm. I guess back to like what you said about just doing it though. I was like yeah, I just do it. You know, it sucks though, man. I did it the other day. I did a, a five mile hike or a four mile hike, and uh, one of the the whole one of the miles, I did it with my daughter, who's fifty pounds, and for a mile up the hill, I carried her on my back. So she out. She got tired, and so uh, I put her on my shoulders and i carried her one mile straight uphill on my back and oh my god i was drenched i mean my jet my hoodie i was wearing a hoodie it was soaked to the bone sweat was pouring down my head i was heaving as i was carrying her you know it's really interesting how difficult it is because just the hike it's kind of difficult but i could do it because i'm in pretty good shape but the hike with a a you know 50 pound kid on your shoulders Fucking a thousand times harder. I bet. Yeah, it's hard. But I uh, but I used it as a workout. And she's like, "If you're too tired, you can stop." I'm like, "No, no, no. It's a good workout. It's good. It's good for me." You know, it probably freaked her out here. Me go <laughs> carrying her, like thinking I'm gonna fall or something like that. But it wasn't it wasn't dangerous. Like it wasn't like I was my, fall my legs were failing. But I was breathing fucking heavy. That's for sure. So you got to imagine these guys that are carrying twenty pounds more than that. And they're carrying their their weight deep into the mountains, you know, or their pack out. That's the other thing. When you kill an animal, like you got a hundred pounds in your pack now, and you got to slowly but surely make your way. And a lot of guys get like seriously injured doing this.
1: Let's well, say, so what do you do? Drag it?
0: No, you put it in your backpack. A hundred pound animal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, no, much more than a hundred pound animal. Usually, any deer you shoot is going to be more than hundred pounds, Definitely. and an elk is way more than hundred pounds, so what you 're doing is you 're making multiple trips with hundred pounds on your back. Does they hack it up, yeah, you have to chop it up mm. now, when it comes to like backpacks and things along those lines, like well, how do you choose what kind of backpack you need and like you you must have like a weight consideration as well, and as far as volume, like how much stuff you need you said you carry. One change of clothes, so you basically have one pair of socks, one pair of underwear, one pair of pants, other than the stuff you have on, right? Do you bring a, a paint change of shoes?
1: Um, you typically break it up by activity, so you have um, hiking and sleeping, so you have your hiking set of clothes and gear, and you have your sleeping. Um, so hiking clothes are usually like uh, just like maybe even like workout clothes, like a synthetic short sleeve top, uh, maybe even running shorts. Um, and you know a set of socks to hike in and then your trail runners to hike in um it's kind of like your hiking attire you you know um it's certainly not like the pant hiking boot kind of image i think that's 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 you know going away um and then you have your sleeping set of clothes your camp clothes which is uh typically like a very minimalist um camp shoe it's all about weight because that's that piece of footwear is on your back. Right. So you want to make sure that one's light, you know. So a lot of people even use Crocs.
0: I know they use Crocs cuz it's super light, it's right? Just
1: light and it's waterproof. You can walk around camping them. and then um you know, some kind of wool. Like honestly, this I love this, right? Like uh merino. Merino wool, um something warm to sleep in, something dry. Like that those clothes like get your hiking clothes wet, dirty all day long, but when you come home or when you get to camp at night, it's like keep it make sure it's comfortable make sure it's dry because that's your saving grace if you have to go to sleep in wet clothes in winter time like that's no good
0: yeah now why uh, why synthetic why do you choose synthetic uh because i know a lot of people choose merino for t- for hiking as well because it regulates temperature well and when it's wet you can still stay warm
1: uh i think you i mean you can have arguments on both sides uh i personally like synthetic just because i feel like it dries faster um and it's a little more durable like this is this would just tear, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like right. I like getting down and dirty when I hike, and um, like a synthetic shirt, even just from Walmart, you know, nothing, nothing amazing. Just a light, lightweight synthetic shirt. Um, I think it's just going to breathe and uh, um, yeah, dry faster. But I mean, merino, yeah, I hiked in merino too.
0: And what kind of pack are you using?
1: Oh man, I could totally nerd out on packs. I did, a, I used an Osprey on the actual AT uh, hike. I, I don't want to talk bad about Osprey. I like Osprey a lot, but I would not hike with them again. I do. Um, How come? Uh, hate to be, you know, kind of um, from aesthetics, but I just don't like the way they look. They've got this like, <laughs> they've got this like.
0: Um, that seems like the last thing you consider when you're wearing Crocs. But they,
1: that's true. But they have this. Um, they kind of pride themselves on a breathable back. You know, uh-huh. do you know, they you know that's yes. Like they have like that concave mm-hmm. back, and it just feels like a like a turtle shell. I just can't stand it. It's like I feel like I'm like falling back with it. On Oh,
0: okay, so the weight's not tight to your back. Yeah, I want right. something
1: snug on my back. Um, I guess that's not. I mean, that's a little utility. Not, but just, that's
0: a big issue for utility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you so, just think
1: they look weird too. Well, exactly. It's like you, I don't like it. It just looks bizarre. Like what?
0: Like what's the name of the pack so we could pull it up?
1: Uh Osprey Exos f- 58. Um
0: and so that's 5800 liters? Is that what it is?
1: It's 58 liters. 58 liters uh, rather. 58 liters, yeah. And then um uh, but I mean if I were to do it again, uh, there are a handful of like pretty badass ultralight pack companies. It's kind of like you got this like bell curve of like Osprey is like the majority of backpackers and it's like you get into like that that niche ultralight and then you've got like a handful so there com- it is right com- there competing.
0: Yeah, that's it. So that's, uh, it just looks like, uh, yeah, you see that space in between mm-hmm. the back? Right. I'm not into that. <laughs> so that's just for breathability?
1: Yeah, but it's like, man, you're a sweaty pig no matter how you look at it. I, right. I, just, I, don't, I just don't see the argument for breathability back there. Do some people like it? Definitely.
0: So it's just, uh, it's just, maybe it's a personal, personal preference. preference. Yeah. So what is like, what's the elite of the elite? Uh, I could, I would probably say like
1: four. There's, um, Hyperlite Mountain Gear, uh, they make what's a uh, Cuban fiber. Do you know Cuban fiber, the material? Cuban, Cuban fiber. It's called Dyneema now. It's like oh, okay, I've heard of Dyneema. Dyneema. Uh, they use
0: that for um, bow strings. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so, uh, but it's lightweight. It's strong. Um, they're super expensive. Um, Hyperlite Mountain Gear makes. I like their packs. Gossamer Gear. They make great packs. A little more affordable. Um, super lightweight granite gear it's another one, and then u l a equipment this would probably be the four pack companies i'd uh i'd want 'd want to use for the next hike
0: what if there's uh is there a cost not an option best best one or is it just all four of them are really similar
1: even the the gossamer gear mariposa that 's a model they they're probably more affordable than some of the other options i'd probably like it the most um so yeah, even even if money wasn't you know money wasn't an issue, they're still one of the more affordable packs and make the best.
0: What's interesting about packs is a lot of it is like where it centers the weight on you, and you can make one pack with the same amount of weight would feel lighter than another pack just by the way it's designed and the way the load lifters work and all that jazz. And your
1: torso length, like you know, right. what might fit you might not fit me right. Right. Yeah. It's like. Yeah, I went backpacking with my girlfriend. I gave her some of my packs, and her torso was just so much shorter than mine. Like, the hip belt wasn't working properly, so she couldn't oh. rest the weight on her hips. And then it's all on her shoulders, and then she's like, God, this pack sucks. And I'm like, man, that's one of the best packs out there, you know? Like,
0: <laughs> so do you have to – can you adjust it for her, or is it just – it just needs a bit different pack for I need her a frame? You
1: need a different size.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. So how do you know, like, what to choose? You have to just try them out?
1: Uh, I would, yeah, and yeah, I would have to try them out. And like, it's hard to do because like your local REI, um, I don't know, you, REI, yeah. They, okay. yeah, they um, yeah, they don't carry those kind of niche ultralight packs. So you can't go try them on. They carry, oh, they they, don't. they'll carry, Ospre- they'll carry Osprey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go try them on. Measure your torso link. Some of those online retailers have like ways to. You know, measure your torso length, make sure it fits right. But still, at the end of the day, it's like a pair of shoes. you gotta, you got to try them on, you know?
0: It's interesting because hunters in general do not use the same packs that backpackers use. Yeah, but you,
1: do you probably have more holsters and all sorts of stuff you need. Mm-hmm. Your needs are different, I'd imagine, right?
0: Yeah, for the most part. But a lot of it is like certain things you strap to the pack. Like you strap your bow to your pack. And some of them have like rifle holsters. Or rifle, you know, scabbards. You can kind of contain a rifle, and like a lot of them have uh, little packets or areas where you could strap down a tripod, or maybe the top compartment you would keep your your binoculars or something along those lines. But I would think that there would be like a lot of crossover, and there's not. There's like an exclusive sort of segment of the population or of the uh, market rather
1: why is that is it just marketing Is are mm-hmm. just targeting different audience
0: i don't know because i, I wouldn't think that, that would be the case because it's not the case really with boots that much there's a mm-hmm. lot of people use like solomons and really standard hiking boots there are hunting boots like crispy and kennetrek and there's a few of those that are like specifically designed schnees. schnees like people use them for other things too but they're like really like well known in the hunting world
1: Maybe the markets will start blending.
0: I wonder. But I'm just wondering, like, you would think you would go to those guys, the backpackers, the, the you know, Appalachian Trail people. Like, they would have already done the work. I right. would think, like, that, that's the people to, to t- contact. Like, they, they know what's good. Yeah, they're traveling for seven fucking months. Right. You, you you know. Now, do you take, like, a Nalgene bottle or something like that with you? Like Smart water bottles, man. Sma- smart water. That's it? Really?
1: Yeah, like, I mean, these water bottles are fine. Um... But uh, I like smart water because, like, you talk about that filter. That's uh-huh. all your squeeze we were talking about. It, it, it matches water bottle threads. But the problem, like, with, like, this bottle specifically is it goes around, what, like, two and a half, maybe one and a half times, times around. Right. So it's like smart water bottles, this piece is about that long. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, much, much better. It's much more secure. Right. So it's, like, more threads. S- more threads to, to secure itself so there's not going to be any any leak or anything.
0: It's crazy to think that, that all you have to do is squeeze the water <laughs> through it. Like, How long does it take to do like a, a one liter thing of water?
1: That's the, biggest, that's the biggest con with um, like that specific type of filter is the fact that you have to manually do it and it can take a while. So if you had a group of, let's say you wanted to go with your, with your kids backpacking, like, I don't know if I'd recommend that filter because you're going to have to squeeze all their water through that one little filter. But mm-hmm. if it's just you and you're trying to squeeze a half a liter, a liter at a time, like it's fine. You know, it might take a minute.
0: I've seen those gravity filters too.
1: Yeah. Like uh, I, I, if you're going with your family or something and you have to do more volume of water, I'd probably go gravity filter.
0: So here it is right here. Okay, Sawyer Squeeze Water Filtration System. There's a video of it. Oh, okay, and it squeezes into a bag. So you fill the water bottle up, and then you squeeze it, and then it fills that bag. So do you use one of those? um, That's their manufacturer bag. Oh, I see. Do you use one of those tubes? Oh, so what's going on right there? That's the clean water coming out. Oh, I see. I see. Oh, so that's it. Huh. So you fill the bag up. And you squeeze that thing, and then it comes out the end. Wow, it's pretty good stuff. That's amazing that that's all you have to do. It's I would think there's a bunch of bears shitting in that water. <laughs> like, what are the odds that you could just do that? That yeah. seems crazy.
1: I think they're marketing more towards like, um, you know, like Africa and stuff now. Cause it's oh, like, right. If you get, if you have uh, a water source that's polluted, like you can start. You've got water for village. You know, it's like yeah. just squeeze it through, and they have like a warranty of. I, some some insane amount of water can go through there, you know. And then what do you do? You have to
0: change the filter
1: just, or throw I mean, it away? Just throw it away and get another one. Hmm. But they're like I don't know, forty bucks. So it's like get another get another filter every ten years. Like God forbid. really, that's it. I think they have their warranty is like uh, I don't even want to throw out a number, but it's like a million gallons or just something ridiculous.
0: Whoa, that little thing can go through a million gallons of water. What does that filter smell like after the uh, end? So
1: you're supposed to back flush it. Like my back flush when you back flush mine. Mm-hmm. So all right, you got the one way, the dirty water goes through this way, and you're supposed right. to push through the crap, right, mm-hmm. out the other way. And, yeah, when you do that on mine, like there's just black water coming out. Oh, but it's wow. Like, it's interesting to think like all that black water is just filtered out of what looks like clean water. Clean water, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, that is interesting. Well, it's also like, you ever, like, especially in Los Angeles is a great example of this. Have you ever gone to the hills and looked down on the basin of the L.A. area and you see the brown air? Yeah. It's fucking disgusting. But when you're there.
1: You don't see it. It looks normal.
0: If you're walking around Hollywood, you're like, oh, look, air. I can see right
1: through it. Your lungs are doing the same thing that filter's doing. I know. It's just like.
0: Mm-hmm. Oof, brake dust. That's the other thing. The brake dust apparently is a real issue with like New York City and places where you have real congestion in tight areas. You're breathing in a lot of dust from the brakes of the cars.
1: I had no idea.
0: Yeah, I didn't either.
1: Yeah. I saw some of that smog coming into L.A. And uh, I connected it in Mexico City when I was coming here. And uh, Mexico City was the same way. Mexico City was just oh, like...
0: the worst. Oh, the worst. Mexico City is like LA is going to be in probably twenty or thirty years. Well, what's what's
1: going on with the politics over here? I figured y'all would be clean air and
0: organic, and it's not much we could do. No. I mean, when you get the volume of people that are here, the amount of humans in LA. Apparently, though, the the basin, like especially like the valley, has always been like that. It's always been kind of like a dust bowl, just by the way it's shaped. Even back before there were cars, hmm. people always complained about the brown air, just from literally from dust and dirt and wind and the dry air. And uh, the lack of moisture, so the the dirt kicks up easy with the wind. But then you add that with pollution as well. Gross. But you know we we have twenty million plus people in this tiny little area. Yeah. You know, I mean, literally, we have as many people as the entire country of Australia in the L.A. area. That's crazy. Yeah. Fucking really crazy. Yeah. There's just too many. And now now Trump has lightened the EPA protection standards. Uh, and they're they're changing the standards of automobiles, what automobiles need to achieve, uh, so, supposedly to help business, but fuck, man, at what cost?
1: Yeah, I think that seems like a short-term solution to a long-term problem. It's a
0: terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. I mean, there's a reason why people, have, why they've set those standards, and they're they're trying to achieve cleaner and cleaner standards. So like, if you go back, apparently the 1970s in Los Angeles, the traffic was, it was, pollution was way worse. because. When you're around those cars... You ever been around, like, old old cars, like, you know, a 1970 car? Not particularly, no. When you're around them, apparently, just... An old car like that, just sitting around, uh, produces pollution. Not even driving, because the gas tank is not airtight, and fucking fumes leak out into the environment. It's just the oil, those things are always leaking oil and shit. When they drive, they're just traps. They're just disgusting. They're just just fire. I mean they're basically just burning gasoline. It's coming out the back and
1: so why are they different look now? At that.
0: regulations? That's Manhattan from 1966. It's oh, crazy. Yeah, well that's those old cars, man. Old cars were fucking terrible and regulations fixed a lot of that stuff. And you know, Not anymore. that <laughs> upper right-hand corner is Los- is Los Angeles. Look at that. Ugh, that fucking smog in LA. And it's going to get worse now. I mean it was getting better, but it's going to get worse. I mean, if he really does uh, succeed in lowering the standards, the emission standards. Look at China. China's awful. I was
1: just about to say, Beijing. Have you, have you been to China? No,
0: never. Not. I've watched a documentary. I, I literally, on that.
1: I literally, like when I was in this is years ago, but when I was in China, I was just like sick, literally sick. Like I was talking mm. with a gravel voice, and it was just like people live there, you know, like Fuck. every day.
0: Yeah. No thanks. Well, that has got to be one thing that's positive about doing the Appalachian Trail is that you're constantly in nature and you're constantly around all those trees and the walking through the mountains and the healthy clean stuff. air. Yeah.
1: You're drinking like, well, I am mean, not going to say that all stream water is clean, but I mean, yeah, you're drinking river water. You're surrounded by trees all the time. You're not near city lights, like air pollution. It's it's pretty, and you're exercising every day, all day. You know, it's a pretty healthy way of life.
0: In a way, right? yeah. Unless uh, you start talking about stress fractures, right? Well, so when you quit your job, you you didn't just do the Appalachian Trail. Like you, you kind of became a world traveler, right?
1: Yeah, and I still kind of am, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah. i like I'm in Guatemala right now, and um,
0: what are you doing in Guatemala? Uh,
1: working online. You know, I, I do a lot of Green Belly online. Um, so you
0: live in Guatemala kind of a,
1: a, loo- a loose term you know living there's like have you heard heard the term digital nomad is that what you are I don't know if I identify myself as that but that kind of movement of of working online and working remotely so I, I can truly operate um most of the business on online um so from that point of view it's like nowhere's off limits you know um as, as, as long as there's decent internet connection um so I mean my girlfriend and I are in Guatemala for 3 months right now um and then we'll be in Europe and then you know Asia back so in the Do you keep
0: on. an apartment anywhere or anything?
1: Airbnb. Wow. No possessions truly.
0: Wow, you're a <laughs> renegade. You're yeah. out there fucking thumbing your nose at society. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's growing movement, man. Like there are a lot of people like you'll go to these cities like Chiang Mai was where I, Chiang Mai Thailand was where I was um pretty much all of last year. There are thousands of of like young international people like running businesses off their laptop, you know? And, I mean, they are hubs all over the world, like like Chiang Mai, where they'll have these, like, co-working cafes. Um, it's booming right now. Like, wow. b- people are all over the world, like, you know, 20s, 30-year-olds, just um, starting off a business that just makes a $1,000 a month income, you know, and then they'll slowly grow it into $2,000 a month. And, you know, next thing you know is they're replacing their old salary at their old gig.
0: Yeah. I I know people have done that in Hawaii. Uh, I've heard of people doing that in Hawaii, where they move to Hawaii and try to operate out of there. And, you know, you're essentially still in the United States, but you're...
1: Living a beach life.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if you can do it, it's probably better than being trapped somewhere.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and it's like, no car, like, no car payments, no mortgage, like... I don't know. I mean, I I I like it. I do. You know, I don't know about in a few years about having kids if that's the way to go. Yeah. Because um, I think like some some sense of stability in an environment would be good. But for now, it's fantastic.
0: It's definitely good for the kids. Whether it's yeah, I mean, you're an adult. You know, it's a different animal. You know, I mean, I think also you get the, the, a lot of the people that do that kind of stuff. You get really attached to this idea of being free. About you could just pull up stakes throw your shit in a backpack and you're gone. Like how many bags do you have?
1: One. <laughs> I literally fit everything into one bag. I have wow. two pairs of shoes.
0: Wow.
1: It's like this It's like this extreme minimalist living, you know.
0: But Wow. I know a guy who does that. He's in his 60s. My friend Steve Maxwell. Yeah. He's a personal trainer. Is he He's living a famous trainer? Does he live in California. He lives everywhere. He doesn't have a place. He just lives in hotels. Yeah. He hasn't had a place since I met him. When I met him, he had a uh, a van that he lived out of, like a big camper van, and he slept in that thing, Then he sold that fucking thing. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't and need he, this. And he just has a bag. He has a bag that's about that big, and he gets everything down to that bag. He travels all over the world. Less is more. Yeah. I mean, and he's a guy that's done the opposite. He had a gym, and he had a house, and he had a family, and the whole deal, and kids grew up he got divorced he's like fuck this life and just became that kind of nomad type person you know it's a a fascinating idea that i mean people are so attached to the idea of permanence when it's not real i mean no matter what happens you will die and all this stuff that you've nestled you know acquired yeah feathered your nest with it's not real it's like you're not going to keep it guatemala huh Come on down, man. How'd you choose that?
1: It costs like five bucks a year. Yeah, that's uh, hey, that's a plus. Um, yeah, it's it's close to home. Uh, my dad's not in the best of health right now, so I do like the idea of being somewhat uh, somewhat close to Georgia. So if I need to come home, you know, at the, how
0: far is the flight from Guatemala to Georgia? Um, Four and a half hours. Oh, so you can get there almost the same as, like, living on the East Coast and flying to the West Coast. Yeah,
1: and the same time zone. It's it's cheap, and it's, like, all these volcanoes around. You can hike all oh, wow. all day long. And it's, like, the coolest thing about, um, I'm in Antigua right now. Antigua is, like, uh, I've, there are several South American cities like this, or Central American cities. And they have, um, they're close to the equator, so you have hot temperature. All year long, kind of like I mean, I guess California, you're spoiled with it, right? But, yeah. Um, Antigua specifically is at several thousand feet of elevation, so you have that consistent weather year long. However, you it's not 100 degrees every day, mm. so it's like um, it's it's very similar to here. It's like 75 degrees every day. It's like 60 at night. Maybe. Do you
0: speak Spanish? <laughs> Un poquito. Really? I would think you would learn. Do you speak Spanish? No. But I live no, in California. I, yeah, but my, my Spanish is <laughs> my Spanish is
1: horrible. I've only been down there like two months, you know. Like I'm not I haven't I haven't picked
0: it up that much. I just got back from Cabo and I felt bad that I didn't speak Spanish while I was down there. I tried, you know, I did the, the you know whole gracias. How long were you stuff. down there? Just a week. But yeah, a week and Yeah, but I would like I would think like if you stay there for any length of time, like I have a friend who has a house there. He keeps a house there and they go there every month. This Motherfucker can't speak a word of Spanish. <laughs> Dude, like, that's crazy. Uh, that's, like you should learn. It's their language. I man. know. It's
1: kind of like a guilty, like American yeah. privilege. Like, oh, I'm not going to wait. But I was in Thailand for a year last year. I don't know 10 words in Thai. Wow. It's like, uh, that's a shame on me, but it's like, it's a commitment to learn something that fundamentally different, you know? Oh
0: yeah. Thai especially. Like, it's like, I, no you offense. You have to learn a whole new alphabet.
1: It, it, totally, you can't even read it, right? Yeah. It's like you got to start way
0: back to kindergarten and Thai. You know, at least Spanish, you can kind of same read letters. It. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, Thai is like that crazy language. You look at it; it's like it's almost like like music. You know, yeah, you're looking it, at like musical notes or something.
1: Yeah, and it's like, other than being in Thailand, there's no advantage of knowing Thai. Mm, you know, it's right. Like, I don't mean to bash on Thailand, but it's like Spanish is much more of an incentive. It's like, okay, a lot of people speak Spanish. Yeah. That would be a great thing to know.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Spanish is probably next to English, maybe the most popular. What is the uh, most popular language? I'd say
1: Mandarin, maybe. It's oh, that's like a, that's like right. a billion people but I, I don't know the numbers Spanish is huge
0: that seems like a grind learning Mandarin oh Jesus Christ and then you have to learn symbols like they're not even it's not even letters
1: yeah right what the fuck right their grammar structure everything
0: yeah how do they text <laughs> how do Chinese people text oh my god how do they text how is it possible
1: uh, no that's idea. like a
0: really that's a really good point why should why, I should know this I should have already asked this question how do they text? Have I asked this question?
1: Well, right? I know in Thai you can switch your keyboard. In Thailand, they like switch their keyboard to, I don't know. I don't. I, but they don't have the same numbers of keys, so I don't even...
0: Yeah, but with Chinese characters, how the fuck would you send a text? Like, you know? Like if you sent a late night booty call, is it just like emojis? <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> smiley face here now.
0: Yeah, smiley face, hard dick. <laughs> <laughs> Exclamation point, thumbs up. <laughs> what is this? Oh, my God. There they go. They have they have a text. Hmm. But how many characters? Do they just simplify? Okay, what does a keyboard look like? What does a Chinese character keyboard on a cell phone look like? Hmm. Yeah, but that's a keyboard on a, a laptop. What about cell phone? Limited amount of keys.
1: How oh, weird.
0: Oh, wow. They have it's, options. It's Thai. Oh, wow. It's Korean? Hmm. So, do Maybe? they piece them together and make. Bruh, I'm asking way too many questions. I think we're not going to get the answers to these either. Out of all the places that you have visited, um, why did you choose Guatemala? uh close to the united states um hiking
1: oh it's like I it was, it was in a place called lake atitlan which is just man it, it, go to lake atitlan that place yeah. is gorgeous it's like this massive thousand deep thousand foot deep lake surrounded by volcanoes it's just like tiny little villages around there i think
0: we just did a little bit of googling and it was kind of like hey you know why not let's go down to guatemala so did you go as a visit and then decide to stay or did you just go say let's see if we could live here for a few months
1: yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, I like the idea of like going three months at a time. It's enough to kind of like find a gym, find your restaurants, settle into an apartment, like doing every few weeks. is just way too many logistics, you know, right? Um, so I think, yeah, we committed. It was like three months down there. I think we're going to commit to Eastern Europe for three months. And then, uh, yeah, commit back to Asia for three months after that,
0: that whole expat lifestyle. It, it takes a very different kind of person, <laughs> you know, to just say, let's try living in another country. Like, when you say you find a gym, like, what kind of gyms they have in the little village in Guatemala? A couple oh, of coconuts uh, well, yeah, attached so, to uh, a stick. Right.
1: Dude, they did literally mentioned that they had um, paint buckets with cement in them. For real? With PVCs. And, like, but, all right, I wasn't working out there. That was Lake Line, but Antigua's... Wait, they really did? It's, like, super ghetto stuff.
0: So they had paint buckets filled with cement that are attached to sticks.
1: Yeah, literally. And that's
0: how you worked out? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Wow.
1: Um, but Antigua is different. It, that's like a more it's a bigger town, city. Like they have a proper gym we go to, yoga classes all the whole the whole nine yards. Oh, so it's almost like America. It's totally.
0: So when you're using these paint buckets with stuff, <laughs> no, not using these. You didn't use them? <laughs>
1: this that was only in at Lake Atitlan. So I'm in Antigua now. Lake Atitlan, I was only there for a month and Lake Atitlan is like um maybe like seven small villages scattered around the lake. And um, they're actually indigenous. Uh, It's like they're directly Mayan. Um, Oh, wow. So those people, Guatemala, interesting, is of all the South American and Central American countries, has the highest percentage of indigenous people. So it's like 30% indigenous. So they don't even speak Spanish. Whoa. It's crazy. And they like... What do they speak? It's Quechicales. I don't know. So is it a
0: Mayan dialect?
1: I believe so. So (laughs) they're totally different people. Wow. And they dress... Traditional everything.
0: That's yeah. intense. Well, but. they have a very strange. Well, at least Mayans did. They had a very strange language where you, it, it's it's like there the, you go. The That's letters or the images represent sounds, and so the sounds like like you, like you would have like an eye. Like this is how uh, Terrence McKenna described it. You'd have like a, an eyeball, a saw an ant, like a bug, and then a rose, and that would be the way you say, I saw Aunt Rose. How, how do you know this? It's just from Terrence McKenna, him talking about it. Because he's he, he, was a, he was a crazy psychedelic adventure character. Do you know who McKenna is? Maybe I should. Yeah, he's a, a fascinating uh, speaker, like uh, who was a psychedelic lecturer. He was a botanist, and uh, just did way too many drugs, <laughs> and or the right amount, depending on who you ask. And uh, he got really deep into the Mayan culture. And he was one of those guys that was thinking that December 21st, 2012 was going to be some crazy event. Because that yeah. was Well, not necessarily. More of a shifting of consciousness. Because it was a the end of the long count of the Mayan calendar. Yeah. So, well, the Mayan calendar is a really tricky thing, man. Like, the the, the sort of various different decipherings of it and the people that are you know, attached all these different meanings to it that don't necessarily jive with the original meanings it's very hard to tell what the Mayans meant because they're not around anymore you know so it's not like you're you're studying ancient Russia where people are Russian scholars and they can there's a direct lineage between them and the people now you know when you dead it, culture yeah it's the, the language is gone
1: hieroglyphics
0: yeah there was there's like uh, some some, uh, translations that took forever to figure out. And there's things that are similar in some ways to a Rosetta stone where they're trying to like match up what it used to be to what it is, you know, what you, we try to figure out how you would say these words in the context of the culture that existed 2000 years ago as opposed to today. Like how would you oh, even, wow. you're talking about uh, the way they viewed things, the way they communicated was incredibly different. That's interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. There was a there was a great documentary called Decoding the Maya, that was uh, I think it was a Nat Geo. I was say that it
1: sounds like Nat Geo. I feel like I'm going to see that. Yeah,
0: I think it was, and it just detailed how difficult it was for these people to try to figure out see these symbols and say, all right, yeah. what do these mean? Yeah, what the fuck do they mean? And apparently, there was a really recent breakthrough where they found a bunch of um, I don't think they call them hieroglyphs. I don't know what they actually call them uh, but they they found a bunch of uh previously undiscovered Mayan language that sort of filled in some pieces that they hadn't hadn't uh, filled in before but then you look at some of their Amazing murals that look like a guy seated in a spaceship with a fire below his seat And you try to figure out what the fuck this meant and like a lot of those ancient alien an alien, theorists.
1: Say, alien theorists, right? Oh,
0: have you ever seen that one? There's one is really crazy. It looks like a guy who's leaning back in like, a, like a, a Spaceship it looks like he's leaning back in a cockpit chair and he's looking through something that looks like a telescope and he's moving some uh, some levers with his hands, and it looks like there's fire beneath him. Really bizarre, fascinating stuff.
1: It's like that That was drawn a long time ago. Oh,
0: yeah, there it is right there. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the, the I guess. Yeah, there's a. Oh, go, go full screen with that one right there that you got right there. Yeah, see, so below him is fire. He's sitting, he's moving some stuff with his feet, He's moving some levers and you see how he's looking through that thing. And it looks like he's got like a gas mask on, like an oxygen mask. And all those people that, like the Von Daniken guys, like they believe that what this showed was uh, a man sitting in a cockpit using the, the levers and machines to operate some sort of a spaceship. So where was that spaceship from? Most likely it didn't exist. Most likely these guys were high as fuck on (laughs) mushrooms and they were probably imagining the future. I mean, if I had a guess, I would say that these ideas were probably very psychedelically based because they were really into psychedelic drugs. They had found a lot of different drugs and a lot of different vines that contained lysergic acid. And it's one of the, I had a, I did a trip to Chichen Itza, which is really cool, a bunch of years back. And, um, I had a professor that was a guide it was really cool because you could hire uh, people uh, for a guide and we we got this guy who was a professor in uh, mine history and he when he knew that I was really into it and I asked all these questions he was super psyched so he went way deep into it and we had him for like six hours And he took us on this grand tour but one of the things he showed us is this area of one of the uh, pyramids where they used to do these psychedelic rituals and he was talking about these vines that they used to take these these vines that had some sort of lysergic acid in it and they would have these psychedelic rituals and that's one of the one of the things that they used to do when they were studying the stars and you know looking at it, obviously no no light pollution back then right so these guys are tripping their balls out on acid at staring at it, this beautiful starscape and what's the do you know are the vines still around I don't know, I don't remember it was so long ago that I went I went in like early 2000s, like 2002 or something like that. I think we went, but it was amazing. Like to think that you're standing on the ground where these people existed and they had this bizarre culture that we don't understand that was aligned to the cosmos. Like all their structures were based on constellations. Like the the maps of these structures mirrored constellations and they were really into uh, astronomy in some sort of a weird way. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah, right over your head. Like, how the fuck did they? They, they apparently, there's evidence that they knew about the precession of the equinoxes, which is a 20-something thousand-year cycle of wobble of the Earth. Yeah, because Can They could the foresee that. The Earth doesn't just spin, you know, it doesn't just spin perfectly. It spins with, like, a little bit of a wobble, so the night sky changes and goes into this 26, I think it's 26,000-year cycle. And they apparently knew about that.
1: What? How? <laughs> how? No idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess if you have a lot of time back then and there's no iPhone to constantly <laughs> distract you with checking your Twitter, yeah, look, well, at, the stars, look at this picture man. on Instagram. You know, you're, instead, you're just looking at constellations. I just don't know how they would how they would market how they how they would i mean i guess that they would see that there's some sort of subtle changing of the night sky in terms of like how it would move a little bit all the time not just move obviously the night sky moves with the seasons you're looking at a different image as the the sun you know moves and the the, the planet spins but it's just the the idea that these people had figured out all these different things, like in terms of like mapping constellations so long ago. Wild. Yeah. Amazing. I just, it's, it's fucked up that we don't know what they were saying, you know, like we've never heard their language. Like it's one of the things about one of these uh, other documentaries that I watched was that they were trying to mimic what the sound of these Mayan languages could have been like. And they really, it was kind of guesswork, but they didn't know. A, see if there's something that you find. There's something where they um, hear what the Mayan language could have sounded like. You know, and they, there was some sort of a... Like really bizarre, like clicks or something? Well, it was, a, it was just a weird language, but they, they don't even know if that's right. Because there's no one around. You know, total they, total they, guess. They just, they just died. They just went away. You know, it's, it's weird. And then they, their language got absorbed. And obviously these people that you were talking about probably have some sort of a dialect. And
1: Yeah, and I have no idea what the correlation is between the current descendants and what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know.
0: I mean, what's really bizarre is that it's not that long ago in terms of human history. Because if you look back on, like, human history in Europe, like, there's places in Europe you can visit that are 2,000 years old. Right. You know, I mean, I, uh, isn't there a fucking bar somewhere in Europe that's like almost 900 years old or something something crazy like that? So these I believe the Mayan civilization they think was not not more than 2000 years ago. Here it is. Sean's Bar is a pub in Athlone, Ireland. It claims to be the oldest pub in Ireland. Goes back to 900 AD. Older than 900 years old. Jesus Christ. Two thousand nine hundred years old, essentially. Oh, Oh, nine hundred AD. Yeah, AD. Oh, okay. Duh. But think about that. That's a thousand. Well, it says oldest pub in Europe. So, <laughs> what's the oldest? What's the oldest pub in the world? That's a good question. But just think of that: nine hundred AD. So that's that's three bars, or four hundred years before Genghis Khan. The old trip to Jerusalem. One one thousand one hundred eighty nine A.D. Nine hundred A.D. So that seems like the oldest.
1: Yeah, it does, doesn't it?
0: Nine hundred A.D. Wow, more than eleven hundred years ago. Fucking a man. Just crazy that much older than America, right? Yeah. So, but like, when was the Mayan civilization? When when was the was the decline of the Mayan civilization? See if you can find that. It is pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. Think about just the the bizarre history of, of the human race and that there are these civilizations that had these. They lived in these sort of isolated environments where they developed in many ways parallel sort of building techniques but different than other parts of the world that were also based on constellations, like very similar to a lot of the hypothesis about Egyptian cultures that they had done that collapse. There it goes. Wow, 900 A.D. That's insane. So Right around the, right around the right, bar time. Right when that bar was built. <laughs> maybe that bar fucking caused it. They all went to Ireland, got hammered. And the, the, wow, that's amazing. What a amazing. coincidence. 900 A.D. right there. 900 A.D. up and down. But what a bizarre and complex civilization the Mayans were. See if you can find out this is what the Mayan language sounded like. I found
2: a video, but it's like a, a woman living currently. It's like this is what it could have sounded like. I don't know if that's the best. Oh.
0: Yeah, what is she? Let's we'll like hear what she down. says. Me maybe, I mean, maybe there's some of it left. You this
2: know, this is Yucatán. I, I don't know if that's the same. Oh, uh,
0: Yucatán. Yeah, that's a Yucatán, that's where the it's, a, it's near Guatemala. Whoa. <laughs> Uh, wow. That doesn't sound like anything that I've ever heard before. I think like I heard it a few here. Spanish words dropped. It says what Yucatec Maya sounds really sounds like what is it was the description say
2: uh, this guy had his housekeeper describe what this older woman was saying uh,
0: <laughs> go back to look at it says attention Mel Gibson <laughs> yes <Yeah, laughs> she,
2: yeah, she saw that movie Apocalypto and had a hard time understanding the Mayan that they were speaking in that movie
0: if you listen closely you can hear a few Spanish words mixed in where there are no Mayan words huh Wow interesting you're apocalypto. That's really interesting, they, man.
2: Maybe he claimed that they were speaking it or something like that.
0: Well, what in that movie? It, what remember. could he have done in Apocalypto? I mean, you're talking about a dead language. How could you? He's going to re- guess too. Yeah, what did he do with Apocalypto? Did he use Spanish? Did he mix it in with stuff? I would imagine he would hire some sort of language experts. But who knows? He might have been busy getting drunk and yelling at Jews, <laughs> <laughs> Curse, cursing out his ex-wife.
2: It's, well, this thing that I pulled up off of Mental Floss is that uh, if like 15 fun facts about the movie. It says that he was a stickler for authentic language, and all of the dialogue is Yucatec Maya language. So,
0: Oh, well, huh? That's where go. the
2: discrepancy is in that maybe he said he used it all, and she's saying, I speak it, and I don't recognize much what
0: you were talking Well, she's about. not saying that she spoke it. If you read what she said, she was saying that she had given this woman a massage, and the woman was speaking to her. And that she recognized a few words oh, yeah. in Spanish, Just but she didn't... It, you know. Yeah. I don't think there's a bridge between that language. I don't think there's anybody who knows that language and also speaks English that can... Crazy, man. That whole part of the world is so... And then you go back to, like, the the Olmecs. They don't even know who those people were. Those strange, almost African-looking faces... They, they, those gigantic stone structures that they found—they that, that could be thousands of years old.
1: You're talking about off of the coast of um, like Ecuador and
0: yeah, the Olmec are—they're almost like a um, hypothetical situation or or a—they uh, don't—they don't necessarily know where these people came from. They don't know who they were, and some people have said they look a lot like like really strong-featured um, South American folks. And some people have actually compared the way the Olmecs were depicted in these, these um, statues and things that they looked more like Africans. You know, there's been like speculation that these are people that might have come from Africa on boats. That's been widely criticized, too. But the, the point is, they don't really know much about the Olmecs. You ever seen uh, images from them? Pull up um, uh, Olmec um, statues. O-L-M-E-C, I believe is the way they spell it, but again, that's just phonetic. They don't, they don't even know what language these people spoke. And these are so these are some statues and things that they found in South America. Look at these. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. have seen that.
1: So they I have that from Legends of the Hidden Temple. Did you ever see that show? Yeah, I thought that? it was
0: a joke. I, I,
2: you said that. I, I thought I was going to pull up the Nickelodeon TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, oh that's, no, that's no, what no. I'm thinking
0: of. No, the Olmecs. Like, look at that one, the third one over from the top. Look at that. I mean, that looks very African, doesn't it? I mean, really thick lips, wide noses, large nostrils. Really interesting. I mean, these people, they don't exactly know what their culture was. They don't exactly know who they were. It's hard to carbon date as well because you're dealing with stone. So until they find, you know, things that are around there that they can backdate. I think that the estimate is like 6,000 years. I might have made that up though. See, see if you could find out like what, how long ago were the Olmecs? You could see it back where you would just were. What does it say there?
2: Nine
0: hundred BC. Nine hundred BC. Jesus, everything is nine hundred BC. That was
2: AD before.
0: Oh, nine, BC. Right? Nine hundred. Yeah. Why am I screwing that up? Dealing with this. I'm in pain right now. I'm dealing with this. Uh, How's it doing? It's better, but fuck, man. I was in Mexico this week and I got severely sunburnt on my back put sunscreen everywhere but my back i i just, i had young jamie in a very non-gay way lather on this uh aloe vera anti but i'm very distracted it's it's just like uh like almost like i have a hundred bee stings all over my back not no bueno so that's 900 bc they think the olmex lived what's that estimate based on because i saw something that was like it thought it was they were way older than that I wonder if they know. It says
2: they date from at least before 900 B.C. Yeah. See, that's, so.
0: th- see I think there's like a conventional th- way of thinking, and then there's an alternative see, theory. And heads. the alternative theory it was that they were way, way, way older than that. But I don't think they know. They don't know who the Olmecs were. But cool shit. You know, they left behind these giant stone giant heads. heads. And like, all right, why'd you even do that? No one knows. Have you seen that thing? I was watching this uh, one documentary, or one television show, rather, on uh, the Amazon, and uh, they've they've recently, because of uh, satellite images, found Find a hidden city. Well, they found what they think are the thing is evidence of hidden cities Honduras? or evidence of ancient cultures. No, in the Amazon, um, and I think it was Brazil. I don't think it was Honduras. But they found uh, like what appears to be irrigation structures and things that are carved into the ground and things that look like uh, grids where they, they might have had cities and streets. That was the lost city of gold. Remember there was a lost city? El Yeah, yeah, that people were looking for and that one uh, European explorer went looking for and wound up dying and they believe got eaten by cannibals. Because <laughs> they're making a movie about that, right? We talked about this recently. Some movie about the lost city of gold that's on its way.
1: I had a, uh, I think it was Disney did one, animation, did animation one, mm. like twenty years ago. That was a while yeah. back.
0: Well, there there have always been rumors that there was these lost cities in the Amazon, but now thanks to satellite imagery, they're starting to see things that they never saw before, and they're starting to find patterns and structures, and it's cool shit, man. Yeah, it is cool. What's well, what's really crazy is like if we didn't have this stuff. Like, how long would it be before there was no evidence? Would it be another 1,000 years? So, like, how if you go back to when, was, when were these structures? Were they 2,000 years old? Were they 1,000 years old? So, if we, if we think about it, like, who knows what was there in the Amazon? Who knows what was there 5,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago? I mean, it could have been completely lost civilizations that we just will never know. We'll never have any awareness of. You're freaking out, man! Look at you
1: freaking out. <laughs> never gonna know.
0: Do you have any plans other than uh, you said you were going to visit Eastern Europe? You're living in Guatemala now. You're going to live there for a while. Do you have any other like wild plans of places to go? And
1: uh, talking about Thailand again at the uh, at the end of the year. Um, other than that, no. That's that's about as far ahead as I've thought. I mean, honestly, like I, I came to um, my buddy was in Ojai. I don't know if you know Ohio, it's a tiny sure. town. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we went uh, surfing yesterday up there. And uh, I was just like, I liked it. And we went surfing around lunchtime and then we went for a hike in the afternoon. It's just gorgeous. I mean, yeah. it's like the fact that you can go surfing in the day and then for uh, I mean, a gorgeous hike, it looked like these trails just snaked on forever. Mm-hmm. I was like, California, is was like, okay, maybe California's on the radar.
0: California's pretty badass. It's, yeah. Northern California is really intense. Like the rainforest area where the redwoods are. Have you been up there? Yeah, like yeah. Like Medicino and up there?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been up there. Those big, those big redwoods, it's gorgeous. Um, Pacific Northwest looks beautiful too. I've never been up there.
0: Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. And it's super dense forests up there. Like really dense because it's constantly raining. And what's really interesting about the forest is the, uh, there's so many pine trees and there's so many leaves fall that the forest floor is really soft yeah like you like step it's like into mossy it. yeah like you're stepping on this like cushion everywhere you walk
1: it looks beautiful though it is a lot of ferns and
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's very very alive what do you do there green hunt? yeah i've hunted up there before uh i also went up there looking for bigfoot <laughs> that tv show that i did you did yeah yeah we went we went bigfoot hunting up there for a week did you find him new no. we okay. found a lot of white guys out camping looking for bigfoot <laughs> really yeah it was a joke that i said here's what you don't find when you go looking for bigfoot black people <laughs> you're more likely to find bigfoot than you are <laughs> black people looking for bigfoot <laughs> just, this much of white guys camping <laughs> exactly and it was interesting as one of the guys that we talked to was like hey look even if we don't find anything at least we're out here camping i was like okay, yeah that's an interesting. the worst case scenario, scenario is pretty good it. but there's a lot of people out there that claim they've seen things but i just think they're seeing bears Because there are bears up there. There's a lot of black bears up there. And you see them in the distance. And bears do walk on two legs all the time. And I think if you see one in the distance and you see that image and you convince yourself that that's a bear. Or that's a Bigfoot, rather. Not a bear. And after a while, your memory starts to play. Memories are so bad. Like, the human memory is so inherently shitty. I mean, a few people have, like, very clear, distinct memories from the past. But I think even those, you're sort of repeating them to yourself and, and ingraining them in your head. Until you believe it. Until you believe them. But I think, like, what, what our memories are good for is, like, recent events. Like, or things that are catastrophic. Like, don't go near the snake. The snake will kill you. You know, that spider's got venom. Oh, I remember the spider. You know, but, like, as far as, like, seeing things and being around, especially unusual events that are very unique. Like, seeing a seven-foot-tall monkey in the woods or believing you saw that thing.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I think you've seen those uh, like those studies where they'll have like a criminal break into a room, and then they'll ask all the you know mm-hmm. all the all the witnesses how tall was he? And know, it's like you know was he black? Was he white? Like all these specific characteristics, and like they're all over the place. All you know, over it's the place, like yeah,
0: yeah. Human memory is unbelievably bad, and we we count on it so much. And people are always like telling you stories about their childhood. I remember when this happened, and you're like, Do you really? How much do you really remember? it's like you might really and how delusional are you that's the other part of the problem like how how much do you remember of things like what is how much do you distort reality to or to fit within your narrative that you enjoy make a good story right yes enjoy yeah you must run into a lot of those people when you're out there on the on the at as it were what is this sasquatch chase deer onto highway woman tells deputy well she sounds pretty fucking legit She's fifty. <laughs> fifty year old tensed what is tensed? Tensed, it's the city, I guess. Tensed woman. Fifty years old. She's probably on pills. Whacked out of her mind. Maybe drunk. Idaho. Oh, so so legit, dude. But it's in Idaho. Again, Idaho. High bear population. Idaho has fucking grizzly bears. It's probably out there, whacked out on fucking pills. She sees a bear. She can't wait to call the police. Finally, my life has meaning. At 50 years old, I'm the first one in my town to see Bigfoot. She goes and tells people. Did you run into any wildlife that was weird when you were out there? I don't know if bears are considered weird,
1: but yeah. A lot of bears? There was, um... I guess it was 2013. They were like, you know, Congress seems to shut down about once every decade for, you know, b- budget disagreements. Yeah. And in 2013, they shut down and, um... Uh, yeah, so they shut down the whole national park system. So you, you know, the AT goes through a lot of national parks. So when they shut down the national park system, nobody's allowed to go into the park. Meaning, so it's like, what the hell are we supposed to do? We've been hiking for four months, and now you're just going to say you can't go through these sections. So um, it ended up everybody just kind of kept on hiking. Um, but the rangers would kick you out, so what you had to do is you'd hike at night. Oh, God. Um, so you're hiking at night, but the best thing about hiking at night is the wildlife. You know, because it's like you start... And so, like, specifically Shenandoah National Park, um, it gets a ton of visitors. And so, when they shut down the National Park, the only people in there were us. It was, like, three hikers for this 100-mile section of park. Wow. So, it was, like, and the Shenandoah National Park, I believe, is one of the highest concentrated black bear populations in the country. Oh, Jesus. So, so, you have, like, no disturbance, and you have all these bears. So, um, you know, we'd be hiking at night. I was actually alone um, at this point, but... Um, yeah, I was hiking through the night one night, and yeah, and, like the sun was rising, and you know, like uh, bears will go up uh, to sleep at night in the trees, um, and when you uh, pass by them, you ch- tree a bear, and they'll come out of the tree, and they'll, you know, claw their way down the tree, and you know, to slow their fall, but it was like, I think I saw 15 bears that morning. It was like, that was just cool, though. It was wow. just cool, you know, it's just like...
0: Now, when you're hiking, are you using headlamps? Are you just going by the moonlight? or
1: Both. I mean, yeah, yeah. moonlight if you can. Uh, it's surprising. Like, your you know, your eyes adjust in the night I mean, a lot of times. But if you're under, like, heavy trees, you know, that's not going to work. But, yeah, head, headlamps, definitely.
0: And how long was Congress – how long did they shut down the national parks?
1: I don't remember. It wasn't too long. It was a couple of weeks. Some I mean, some hikers we knew, like, literally hold up in a hotel for a couple of weeks until they settled it. Committed. It's just like – like, what is, it, is a ranger really going to arrest you and like throw you in jail for like hiking a through hike or like hiking through the park?
0: It's weird stuff. that they tell you can't go anymore. I mean, yeah. isn't this like public land?
1: I know. I, I think we all kind of rolled our eyes, or most of us rolled our eyes at it. Like, all right, dude, dude, come on, I'm just
0: I'm just walking through here, you know. So this company that you have, um, Green Belly Meals, which I've enjoyed these things very much. <laughs> you you came up with this because you, you needed more nutrition while you're out there. It's hard to find good stuff to eat yeah exactly
1: um and prior to the at i was doing um i was cycle you know the term cycle touring Mm -hmm. you like it's backpacking on a bike you hop on a bicycle and you you cycle you know 50 100 miles a day and then you camp out at night so i did that in new zealand for like three or four months and it was the same thing it's just like burning a ton of calories man um and i needed everything to be light ready to eat um and then, yeah, I came over um, to the States and right after that trip at the Appalachian Trail. And the backpacking food consisted of, you know, those dehydrated freeze-dried meals that you add hot water to. Um, those things, like, I, I don't like stopping and cooking um, at all. You know, like, it's like if I can keep going, particularly at meals like lunch, just keep going. Um, and, like, the meal options were bars, other bars. But bars usually cap out at, like, 200 calories, 250, even meal replacements, the the highest calorie meal replacement bar on the market, um, was a 400 calorie, uh, I believe met Rx, you know, some of those workout, mm-hmm. uh, high protein bars. Um, and not to mention they're like heavily processed, you know, I was like, I just didn't want to put a bunch of that crap in me. Um, and I mean, to add another thing was the just balanced nutrition. Some bars would have fiber, some wouldn't, some would have protein, some wouldn't, some would have carbs, some wouldn't. And it was like, dude, I need nutrition. Like I'm, I'm really burning up to five to 6,000 calories a day, you know? Um, So that kind of idea of of the need for a a big nutrition, ready-to-eat, fast, you know, kind of eat-and-go kind of meal uh, was something that had been forming in my mind as I hiked. You know, a lot of times we were drinking olive oil practically and drinking honey and drinking peanut butter. It's just like anything you can get to load in the calories. So, um, you know, I'm not a big dude. So it's like I couldn't afford to lose that much weight, and I was losing weight. Um, So Green Belly kind of came up with the idea when I was hiking, like— Let's make something that packs in some calories, you know.
0: And how did you do that, though? How did you... Like, these things are super dense. Like, for people that are listening, I'm holding this bag, and it has two bars in it. And, uh, dude, I eat... I've I've eaten these before. I've eaten two bars. And I'm good for fucking a day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, it's just a normal day, like, not hiking or anything crazy. But it's really dense. They're heavy. Like, you hear that, folks? Listen to that. it's a brick of food. It's <laughs> a lot of food. Like, wh- how did you figure out how to do that?
1: Uh, I-, I knew nutritionally. I had an idea of where I wanted it to be, or you know, as a concept for like this kind of ultimate backpacking meal. Um, and then I worked with a food scientist, so I knew that I knew nothing about nutrition. I just kind of knew, kind of. I-, I wanted to scratch my own itch, you know. I right. had an itch, and I wanted. Uh, I wanted a better backpacking meal, so I knew uh, conceptually what I wanted it to be. And then after playing around my mom's kitchen trying to get something, I was like, this is way over my head, you know, like trying to get the nutritional profile where I want it to be, get it to taste good, get like ingredients that don't react with each other and spoil and then trying to get like it to literally form together and not fall apart. It was like, you start like having this really complicated stuff. Um, As I tried to just find, you know, um, search around and see, you know, what kind of person could help me. I was looking around nutritionists and... Chefs and all that kind of stuff and ended up coming with the term food scientist uh, and food scientist helped me really formulate the meal and then um you know then it was just kind of a feedback game from what he could do uh, from a nutritional point of view from a shelf life and flavor profile then it was just making sure the darn things tasted good you know um, so I went to like a, a hiking festival and handed out hundreds of samples just got a f- bunch of feedback from hikers and then um yeah kind of ran with it and um yeah, it's been doing well.
0: Well, they're good, man, and I eat them all the time. So uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm impressed. I oh, really, they're yeah. delicious. You know, my favorite one is a chocolate one, though. What is that? Which one? Dark chocolate.
1: chocolate. Yeah, dark chocolate yeah. banana. Yeah, we have banana yeah. chips in there, but.
0: Good shit, dude. For real, it's got. I'm trying to stay on a ketogenic diet. That's what's so, so funny, it, it Joe, when you were talking it about. It, I was like, yeah, man, we got we got high carbs. Yeah, that's not going to work. But <laughs> on a cheat meal, these are good. Or if I'm desperado for food, yeah. but also you see, you can. The thing about our ketogenic diets is you can every now and then fuck up as long as you're not you know as long as you're pretty consistent with a high fat uh, content diet. And then what I'll do is I'll take an exogenous ketone. You can take uh like drinks that you mix up that put you in a ketogenic state even after you, you could drink like a whole coca-cola and then drink one of these ketogenic drinks and it knocks you back in a state of ketosis Wow yeah it's pretty scientific shit this guy uh, Dom de Augustino invented it he's a scientist out of the University of Florida interesting yeah there's there's ways you can manipulate your metabolism in that way where it, it specifically burns fat there's a lot of benefits one of the big benefits is your um your appetite Appetite suppressants amazing because if I go on and I did I do switch over like if I cheat like if I go on vacation or something like that and I just start eating tacos or whatever when you uh, your body goes into a carbohydrate burning state you get way hungrier. Like, you burn through that carbohydrate pretty quickly. It's quick-burning fuel, and then your body doesn't have the carbs anymore, so you go into this real hungry state. Whereas if you're in a ketogenic state, your body's burning fat, you're eating fats, and then when there's no more food, your body starts burning its own fat. And so you don't get that crazy hunger craving that you get when you're on a carb-based diet. Hmm. But there's, you know, there's arguments for both sides, and um, I'm going to bring in some people that uh, – our anti-ketogenic diet as well so get a balanced lis- perspective on it i listened to um
1: i don't remember his name but it was a nutritionist he had written a book he was on your podcast a while ago
0: mm, chris kresher maybe gary Tobbs, the case against sugar but he's not a nutritionist this is pretty um, recently but rob wolf maybe real yeah, recently honestly
1: it was real recent wired
0: to eat rob wolf that sounds yeah, that sounds right rob
1: yeah but th- the level of nutrition that uh, that that guy knew, I was fascinated. That's was Rob. Like,
0: yeah, that must be Rob. Oh, was, man. Yeah. He was
1: just, whoa. That he's
0: was the impressive. Guy that, he's the actual guy that invented the concept of quote-unquote bulletproof coffee that guy kind of stole it rob wolf's concept came first and he wrote about it in 2005 the idea of uh, adding mct oil and butter to Buttery, coffee right. to give healthy fats with coffee yeah rob is a scientist and he's he's like way ahead of the curve when impressive it comes to nutrition. dude and then, yeah.
1: impressive like conversation was it's just interesting mm-hmm.
0: yeah there's a lot of those guys out there now it's really uh, a fascinating time when it comes to nutrition and and also, what he what's really good about him is he's constantly experimenting. He's very honest and very open about his experiments, and he's also really uh, adamant about the possibility, or not the, not the possibility, but the reality rather, that people are very different, and everyone's variability, needs. right? Yeah, the variability is it's very wide. So, like, what is healthy for you might not necessarily be healthy for me, and what what changes your blood sugar levels is not going to change mine very very different and so
1: interesting stuff so it's like when i remember when y'all's conversation i was thinking like is there not something out there just a simple a a blood test or something where it's just like what do i need right know, what's good for me what's the what's the simplest way to find out is this good is this
0: bad what what do i need you know really just have to experiment and on top of that there's a lot of other variables like how much sleep are you getting what's your cortisol levels how much stress are you under and those factors also have to be taken into consideration when you formulate a diet because you're, it'll vary depending upon your stress levels. It's complicated stuff. Very, very complicated. But these delicious shit. So I wish you well with this, my friend. Uh, Thanks, man. Yeah, really go, glad you go uh, buy them, you fucks. <laughs> <laughs> and the book, uh, how to hike the Appalachian Trail. This is available everywhere, right? Yeah, and that's just, that was just a uh, fun
1: side project. Truly, just wrote that in about a about a month over. Just kind of sat down and cranked out how to hike the at so it's gear talk a whole bunch of stuff you know a few trail tales in there
0: listen i really enjoyed talking to you man you've lived a fascinating life and you continue to do so so good luck to you and thanks again thanks joe good talk christopher cage ladies and gentlemen no relationship to nicholas <laughs> see you soon folks bye thank you everybody for tuning into the podcast thank you to caveman coffee go to cavemancoffeeco.com Use the code word Rogan and you will save 10% off any of their awesome stuff. Thank you to Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com forward slash Joe for a free trial and 10% off your first purchase at squarespace.com forward slash Joe. And thank you to Onnit. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. All right. We did it, folks. We got through another show. All right, all right, all right. Um, tomorrow, tomorrow we got a, a doubleheader. Oh, shit. Yes, tomorrow we'll start off with uh, Sam Harris and his friend Dan Harris. No relation. And then Greg Fitzsimmons will be here uh, tomorrow afternoon. So that's tomorrow. So until then, much love. See you soon. Bye.